Hey, Pac-12 sports fans, do you want to get killer seats to see your favorite team for the price of a beer or a large pizza? Are you tired of paying for all the inflated markups from brokers or last-minute convenience charges so you end up paying courtside prices for nosebleed seats? Go to onein100.co. That's onein100.co. Feeling lucky? Try it now. The novelty of 1 in 100 is that there's no place online that's doing online raffles to win tickets to events. It's a totally new way to score tickets to your favorite events and new way to see your favorite Pac-12 team. The cost of potentially scoring tickets with 1 in 100 is a small fraction of the actual ticket price. Score a pair of tickets for less than a cost of a beer. Your first raffle ticket is free after signing up. The experience of using 1 in 100, which is extremely fun and exciting, from picking your lucky number to the feeling of potentially scoring premium tickets, feeling lucky? Try 1in100.co. That's onein one zero zero dot C-O. Now available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network, we are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together we are the Podcast of Champions, talking all about Pac-12 football. The Pac-12 took a little bit of a shot on the chin this weekend, but we'll talk about all that. We're going to recap week five, and we're going to, which is a big week, five, seven games. Uh, and then we're going to preview uh, week six, which has five games. If you have any questions for us, any left, because you guys have sent it a whole bunch already, uh, email pac12podcast at gmail.com, or you can tweet us. I was trying to be active on the Twitters this weekend at pac12podcast, the website where you can find all of our stuff, our contact information, all of our old shows, all of our picks, the survivor pool, all that stuff, pac12podcast.com. And then you can text or call our Google line, our Google voicemail is 424-532-0678. We got a voicemail. I think we got a text and stuff this week and a lot of emails, David. It's going to be a, a big show. It's going to be a huge show. And that's despite the fact that only two Pac-12 games from these seven games over the weekend finished within, oh, say, 18 points. Wow. So a lot of blowouts. A lot of blowouts. Yeah. Not, not, not the prettiest of Pac-12 weekends, but... They were football games, and they, we like football here on the Podcast of Champions. Yes, yeah, so if, you know if you're complaining about games, and just remember back to June when there was nothing to do, and you know we were talking about soccer or whatever we were here. But yeah, these are packed shows. We did almost two hours last week. Uh, it's kind of a weird week because you had BYU and Notre Dame. You had a couple out of conference uh, games, but there's you know there'll be four, five, six games I think going forward. So it should be a little bit more uh, compact. We uh, everyone survived. Their survivor pool, uh, David. So uh, it was a little, you know, we thought it could be a little dicey with some of the picks, but you had Arizona State, and so did Jason Shear. Uh, big wins there. Uh, Chris Fetters and myself had Colorado, which looked a little scary early. Uh, and then the one that we were kind of worried about, Adam Munster Tiger, took USC, and they 
came out, they, had, they held on the win. So everybody survived this week. I haven't looked at week six yet, so hopefully it'll be interesting. Yeah, I haven't really. I mean, is it any surprise to anyone out there that I haven't looked at week six yet? Um, <laughs> but, so I have no idea who I'll pick. Uh, that USC one got a little dicey there at the end. I'm sure he was sweating a little bit, but... Uh, he's gotten, you know, that 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 uh, team out of the way. He doesn't have to worry about picking USC again. Right. That's a problem for somebody else. Um, I think I've gotten it out of the way yet. I, I don't think you have. You no, you still I still, you still pick could them. pick USC. Yeah, you picked them already. You picked them week one. Uh, so I'm gonna have to pick them at some point. But yeah, well, as long as I keep surviving. But yeah, that's good. We had that first week carnage, and everyone keeps going. And uh, speaking of carnage, it wasn't the best week for our picks against the spread. Uh, I did squeak out a a winning record at four and three, but this one, this was your worst week, Dave. It was uh, two and two and five. The two games that we picked differently, I end up getting right. So that was the the difference between our picks. Right by like a pretty wide margin too. Um, you picked Notre Dame, um, and they ended up covering their spread by t- sixteen points. Yeah, <laughs> um, and you also uh, picked Oregon. And they ended up covering their spread by 15 points. Yeah. And I, I, so, I tried to text a little, not a little trash talk, but just a little get, you know, see if Dave would get. Uh, I was not having it. No. I was not having it at all. On I Saturday. got zero response. Yeah. So if you have ever like tried to contact Dave and just, he's just ghosting you. Like, yeah, that's, uh, that's where you were. <laughs> I could have been asking about anything like with the show, like, you know, he wasn't going to respond. So yeah, we need, you know, what we need to do. We need to hire an intermediary. You know, we need to hire somebody who's going to take your texts, takes your calls, <laughs> take my calls, take my texts, and just find a way to convey it to the other. And you know how we should do that, Ryan? How should we do that, Dave? We should do that with ZipRecruiter. I love it. That's good. I want to hire somebody. That's good. Well, you know what's not smart? Job sites that overwhelm you with tons of the wrong resumes. So when we're looking for resumes for this person who will be the intermediary between us, we want to use ZipRecruiter.com slash POC. That is the smart way to hire. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't wait for candidates to find you. ZipRecruiter finds them for you. It's powerful matching technology, scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, and actively invites them to apply. So you get qualified candidates fast. No more sorting through the wrong resumes. No more waiting for the right candidates to apply. It's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot, with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive address, ZipRecruiter.com slash POC. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash POC. ZipRecruiter.com slash POC. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Very cool. Nice read, Dave. Uh, Dave. Yeah, like being in this business where I'm, you know, uh, we don't, I don't get that opportunity anymore. Like when I was an engineer, I got to do interviews and things like that. And I wasn't my own company, so I wasn't, you know, going out recruiting that way, but we would try to recruit to, uh, give, we would get bonuses. Like back when I worked for Silicon Valley companies, ah, those were the days, Dave. Now, <laughs> now none of that stuff, benefits, all that stuff, man. Why did I, why did I leave all Why did I leave that life? I don't know. So I we, don't know. So we could talk Pac-12 football. That's why I left it, you know? Yeah. And we can, <laughs> and, and so we can tell all of our good friends out there about ZipRecruiter. Yes. Would you be doing that at your job? No. See, no. that's very true. We uh, get to, we get to support the brands here at the podcast. I do. Champions. I do like doing that. Yeah. It's a, it's a whole new era for us. You know, this, this is good. Um, 
Well, thank you to ZipRecruiter. And uh, thanks to everyone that wrote in all your questions. We're going to try to get to those to the end. But right now, David, we have to do our Pac-12 Roundup. All right. Mm -hmm. So we're going to count that. We have the new, I don't know if you've seen, David, the new power rankings, which again, I don't agree with. The bottom, I have exactly the same. The, the top is a little bit different, but we'll uh, kind of say, share, share where we feel like some of these teams should be. Uh, but we'll go backwards from 12 to 1, and we'll talk about each game as they uh, as they went. Um, so the first game we're going to talk about is our number 12 team. Oregon State Beavers. And uh, they were taking on number seven team. Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> okay, I'm pretty much with you on number seven, ASU. Uh, I would still have UCLA number 12. We'll get to them in a second. Okay. Um, but I'm I, whatever. Oregon State's fine here. Um, so this game was, uh, I, I think, a little bit deceptive on the final margin. Uh, I thought Oregon State probably played a little bit better than whatever this was, a 28-point win for Arizona State, 52-24. Um, there was a late bomb from ASU, which oh. was, I think, I think it was effectively Herm just, like, he he did that to us. Yes. Like that, the point of that was to stick it in our eye because we both picked Oregon State in this game, and we also spent the entire offseason talking about what a, a clown show disaster <laughs> Arizona State was going to be. <laughs> so I think this was like a pointed, uh, you know, fu from Herm to us. Um, Eno Benjamin, um, he's a man. So, well, like the stat line is okay. You're like, oh wow, Oregon State just did not attempt to tackle him. Thirty carries for three hundred and twelve yards and three touchdowns. But the thing is, they did. Like he had, it must have been a hundred and fifty yards after contact. Yeah, he was breaking through tackles, showing off an incredible burst in the open field, basically looking like a super version of what we were expecting to start the season. Um, we said it last week, ASU uh, kind of developed a run game at Washington. Uh, they they solidified that run game in this one. I didn't think Manny Wilkins was all that sharp at all, um, but it didn't matter. They scored 52 points, largely on the strength of this rushing attack. Um, and it wasn't as if Oregon State was bad offensively. Jamar Jefferson was good himself. Um, Connor Blount was fine, um, but they just couldn't keep up with this ASU team, which suddenly looks explosive and good and um, uh, like they've got a real plan offensively. And I think, um, you know, early on in the season, we we're like, well, who, is Michigan State even that good? And, you know, then they lost to San Diego State. Um, but I, I think right now, looking at the makeup of the Pac-12 South, you have to consider Arizona State, not just a serious contender, but maybe one of, I don't know, two favorites in the South right now. Yeah. I would agree. This is and so this was the uh, 7 p.m. game. It was like the fourth game of the day. Now I got, I was able to stay home. I didn't travel for this one, so it was cool to be able to watch everything. So this was like my tablet game up on the side. But I tried to watch as much as I could. I had the you know volume on. I wanted to hear what's going on. You know, Benjamin was just bouncing off Beavers, like you said. I don't know what the yards after contact were, but it was ridiculous. He was once he was in space fast when he wasn't in space he just made space and bounced those dudes off um they just ran all over the beaver defense and i you know we saw the same thing from arizona last week so i think that's something that oregon state's certainly going to have to work on but there was some life you know they they showed life and there was some spark and you know the 21 if if we would have you know we didn't get this pick right with 21 and a half point spread 
but the way it went, it seemed like they should have covered the spread the way they were playing. They they would give you know go down by twenty one, but then fight back, uh, and you know uh, and cut it to seven. Um, they gave up a, a the really weird like late TV at the end, t- touchdown the end of the first half that they should have given up. So it was like they were down fourteen instead of seven. Um, and then they kept driving in the second half and then f- failing on fourth down. So, but it still seemed like the game was close enough. Um, Arizona state was just running the ball. I just felt like this was a game that uh, Oregon state was closer than what the final score. Th- and like you said, Manny Wilkins threw a bomb to Nikhil Harry when they were up 21 with just a few minutes left and Oregon state like had taken out their starters and they weren't even like trying to, it was really weird. It was almost like, okay, let's make sure it, you beat the spread. It was almost like that was like the goal. Um, I respect it. I respect it. Just not in that instance, man. Yeah. I was like, are, we, are you seriously not covering this one? So I felt this was very similar to what happened to Ohio state where it was close enough. They should have covered and then they didn't. Um, Chris Cart, our buddy, Chris Cartman, who, who's the one that told us about, you know, Benjamin saying that the running game was going to be better, which seemed like kind of strange, but it is better. Um, he had a few stats that he, t- I think he tweeted out. Uh, he said ASU had one penalty for five yards. Manny Wilkins wasn't sacked. Arizona State was seven for twelve on third downs. They had zero turnovers, and in the red zone they were five for five with four touchdowns. So, um, pretty thorough thrashing of the Beavers, who I still don't think are terrible, but some terrible things seem to happen when they play. Well, and I would, and I think for the solace for the Beavers is Arizona state by those measures played nearly a perfect game. Yeah. Like, can you expect them to do that every time out there? Probably not. Um, and Oregon state still, there were still signs for, you know, optimism there. I mean, they were down 14 at the half, which is within striking distance. They were down 14 at the end of three quarters, which was within or not 14, but they were, um, yeah, they were down 14 at the end of three quarters which is within striking distance. And then just the fourth quarter, they kind of petered out. But um, yeah, so for people wondering why I would have UCLA below Oregon State right now, it's basically that. Oregon State's one and four, and the win was over some, you know, nonsense FCS school. But they've shown me a little bit more reason for optimism um, this season. Now, it's a different, it's a different, uh, I think, I think with Chip Kelly at UCLA, People have really, really high expectations in the long run. Um, and with Jonathan Smith, it's probably a little bit different. But still, I mean, you look at that Oregon State team, and I think Oregon State fans can say, well, we really do have a plan offensively. We've got some nice pieces. Um, it's just a matter of kind of fixing this defense. But there's reason to think we'll be you know, competent next year and then potentially decent again in two years. Yeah, I mean, I see the direction that Jonathan Smith is taking Oregon State, you know, because you don't necessarily believe it. He's never been a head coach before, but you believe in the direction Chip Kelly just because of his resume. It's track record. Yeah, Yeah, it's track record. But I'm not seeing it. Well, we'll talk about that. I guess we can jump into it right now. Anything else on that game or we can move on? No, I I think uh, we said it. Arizona State, I think, is a real contender. I think that's obvious now. Yeah. Okay, so our number 11 team, UCLA Bruins. This was the Friday night game. Uh, we have them all the way up at number four. Colorado Buffalo. I'm fine with that because they're undefeated. Um, I, I don't know if they've passed my eye test for number four, but yeah. undefeated is fine. Uh, uh, Colorado beat up on UCLA 38-16. Um Maybe a little bit deceptive only because the first half was really, really competitive. Um, and in fact, UCLA looked like 
they had a real chance to win the game in the first half. Um, but then it, the, I mean, the wheels completely fell off the offense in the second half, um, really struggled to put together anything. And that, I, you know, the defense was probably going to wear down anyway. Um, but the fact that the offense basically couldn't sustain a drive for the entire second half, more or less made it inevitability that the defense would fall apart. Um, it was, let's look at that second half drive chart. This is always fun. Okay. So they had a field goal to start the, the second, uh, half and then it was punt, 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 punt downs <laughs> to end the game and the punts. So it was a field goal, six plays, 66 yards, held the ball for two minutes. Then when UCLA next had the ball, three plays, three yards. Then when the next had the ball, three plays, three yards, next had the ball, three plays, four yards, next play, uh, next time they had the ball, six plays for 11 yards and only a minute 57 off the clock. And then when they turned it over on downs, it was six plays, 26 yards and 56 seconds. So, uh, the offense was basically not on the field in the second half. Um, and I think that led to the defense kind of crumbling. Um, but it was an encouraging first half. Um, the defense looked really good early against Colorado, um, shutting down the running attack pretty well. Um, there were a few penalties that cost UCLA, probably a little bit ticky tack by the letter of the law, though they were penalties. Um, one was a, both were on Nate Metters, uh, UCLA starting cornerback, where he um, had a pass interference that uh, extended a drive on third down, and then he had a uh, horse collar tackle on Nate, on uh, Stephen Montez that extended another drive. Um, but it was it was a competitive first half. They, I think, the biggest issue right now is this offense. And Dorian Thompson Robinson had probably his worst game in the four so far. And that's a little bit discouraging only because it came after a bye week when you would expect, um, you know, you would expect progress. You would expect consolidation of the gains he made through the first three weeks and then building on that in the fourth game. Uh, it really didn't seem like that had happy feet was, you know, backing away from pressure that wasn't really there most of the game um, and was not making accurate throws. There were a few. I mean, there were a few balls in this one where if they were accurately thrown would have been touchdowns that just he, he was off. Um, but, you know, Colorado walked away with a 38-16 victory. They looked um, everything they've looked like this year. They looked explosive on offense. Uh, Trayvon McMillan, especially in the second half, um, LaVisca Chenault uh, was studly again. Um, they looked they looked good. Steven Montez looked good. Um, and uh, And UCLA very much did not in that second half. Yeah, so this was the Friday night game. Uh, this was so I spent the day trying to dig out this stump in the front of our like I have a little town. It's a town home, but we have like a small area of like landscaped part. And this stump got disease. I mean, this bush they cut it down, and I need to try to dig the stump out. It was very very hard. Do you ever try to do that? It's not. It's yes, not it's not. It's not an enjoyable experience. No. And that's in like this cramped area. So I I dug for about two hours. And I had to give up. So my wife ordered some pizza and beer. We sat down and watched uh, this game, and uh, so it was cool. I, it was I loved being at home and being able to kind of watch it and enjoy it. Um, it was a Pac-12 refy kind of game. Like there was picked up flags, mics that weren't working. It was like a pretty typical referee game. We saw some really bad calls in, in other games too, but I think this was this one started. This off was the, the most weekend. incompetent, the most <laughs> incompetent. Like it wasn't that they were making horrendous calls. It just looked like they didn't have like even a base level of competence. Yeah. Like it was like, oh wait, no, that's not in the rule book. Okay, pull it up. It was just <laughs> like dopey stuff. And so 
these both teams are coming off a bye, and it looked at the beginning. UCLA looked better. Like I thought they were they they were as good as I've seen them in the first half. There was good special teams plays, which that's been a problem. Um, then they left uh, Lavisha Chenault like wide open, and he kind of started the scoring a little bit for for Colorado there. But it was a really weird end of the first half. I think uh, the way the way it ended, it was kind of strange. And at, at that point, I think UCLA had eight different ball carriers and like eight different receivers caught passes. So to me, it looked like they used the bye week well and uh, they were playing well. We didn't see that same team in the second half. Um, I thought they were getting really good pressure on Colorado uh, in the first half. And then they seemed kind of gassed in the second half. And you're playing at altitude and all that. But really, see the the kid uh, McMillan from the he's the transfer from Virginia Tech. He was running tough all night. Like you talked about, you know, you know Benjamin. Uh, he was bouncing off people. He just looked like a powerful running back. So you got him, Montez, who was taking off and running a bunch and throwing some nice balls. And Chenault, they have a you know a three headed monster on offense. I think that's going to make them, you know, legitimate uh, going forward. Now. Colorado's undefeated, the only undefeated left in the Pac-12, but their opponents are combined one and sixteen. So they haven't obviously they haven't played anyone that's any good. But you know, I thought UCLA looked pretty good in the first half. Colorado kind of stretched their legs a little bit, showed what they can do. So to me, like I came away, I think the Bruins are better, um, you know, than what we've seen. I thought I, I was encouraged by that, but it was just too much Colorado in the second half. Um, we'll see what Colorado can do going forward, but so far they've been pretty impressive and I think that offense is legit with a you know good running back a great wide receiver and a great quarterback it I think it's it makes it really uh them are going to be a tough out in the Pac-12 South yeah and Colorado um for probably the first time this year really flashed uh Steven Montez on the zone reads he hadn't run a ton yeah uh this year prior to this game but he he did it in this one uh ended up with 11 carries for 81 yards and a couple of touchdowns, including one where it was, I, I thought that was like kind of the play that just kind of iced the whole thing. Um, ran around the left side for a, a touchdown pretty late. That just made it, uh, you know, kind of an academic exercise from that point. All right. So we move on to the next game. Let's do it. Okay. So this is our number 10 team, Arizona Wildcats, wow. uh, taking on uh, our number six team. This is uh, in Tucson, USC Trojans. This was a god awful football game. God awful. Um, and I'm not just saying that because I had to stay up late to watch it. Um, USC won 24 to 20. Um, and USC did all of its scoring in the first part of the game. And then Arizona did all of its scoring in the last part of the game, but it never felt competitive at any point. Um, penalties were atrocious in this one. How many did USC finish with? Uh, like 18? 18 for 169 yards. Uh, and there were others that were declined or maybe two on the one play that uh, they didn't enforce both of them. One play they did enforce two penalties. That was that was pretty special too. But yeah, 18 for 169 yards. Well, and, and Arizona had eight. And, you know, combined like... Yeah, there were definitely some where it was like, ah, oh, Pac-12 refs. But for the most part, like, it was just sloppy, yeah. sloppy play. Um, and, I mean, USC, I thought, was pretty clearly the better team. And if they hadn't keep, kept shooting themselves in the foot with penalties and turnovers, um, including, uh, okay, walk me through the play where JT Daniels wait, starts waving his arms like he's uh, a bird flying away. <laughs> and Toa Lobendon just like perfect strike. Honestly, so much force. He could he could try out for quarterback for the Huskies. 
um, th- uh, snaps the ball directly into J- uh, JT Daniels' breastbone without him getting his hands up. What happened there? So we actually asked uh, Clay Helton on the conference call last night. So if you remember, so that was a fumbled snap. Um, when the play was going on, I think it was Tyler Vaughn. They had two people in motion, basically. Then Tyler Vaughn kind of looks at the sidelines. He's holding his hand up like, hey, we got to stop. Apparently, Clay Helton was trying. He said he was trying to call for a timeout. And I forget who. One of the running backs, I think, was in, in motion as well. So basically, the play was an abortion. Like, it just was It was bad. And then somehow, what Clay Helton said is that Toa Lobandon heard a verbal signal to snap the ball and obviously that there were people trying to call timeout that was all screwed up so it was everyone, a beautiful snap it, it was, was a great a beautiful beautiful snap that's what clay Hilton said he said it was a, it wasn't a snap problem it was a perfect snap because he had some other low snaps too and he's he's been snapping what poorly for the last two games and helton was asked hey you're going to replace him he's like no he's our center uh, i mean he's a captain and all that kind of stuff but I, I don't look at it as a perfect snap if you snap the ball and the quarterback's not ready like just because it's in the right spot <laughs> it was a good snap but yeah that was that was just one of the, the you know, uh, kind of Ringling Brothers plays that were going on in that game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this uh, – all right. So on the USC end, I thought they ran the ball really, really well. Um, I thought JT Daniels was fine. Um, he had another one of his requisite. Uh, this could have been easily picked off yes. deep bombs down the middle of the field. Um, but for the most part, I thought he was fine. He had the two fumbles, um, one again on that weird snap where we're not going to blame him, but then he had another one late. Um, but overall fine. Um, on Arizona's end, I, Khalil Tate is hurt, right? So I guess that's the explanation. He wasn't really running before he was hurt either, but as a pocket passer, he's not great. Like this is, it's kind of tough to watch. I mean, he's missing a lot of throws that are there um it wasn't as if um his receivers were like blanket covered in this one um there were opportunities to get that ball in there and he just does not look accurate um and that's just not great uh he was a little bit better late when they were coming uh making the comeback but early on in this game he just was not effective um at the quarterback position and usc did a much better job shutting down the run which is why this was such a non-competitive first half and then for USC, I think the lack of production, I think it's, I mean, it's mostly those mistakes and penalties. I mean, they had, so that that botched snap uh, fumble was on the Arizona 13-yard line. Does that sound right? Uh, yeah, I think so. It was like going, I think it was red zone. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you have that happen. That's probably another, you know, at the very least field goal or touchdown at the end of the first half, it would have been 24 or 20, nothing at the half, most likely. Um, then you open up, I mean, it, it would have looked better and different. I think if, if, you know, a couple of those mistakes don't happen, but I don't know. I think if you, obviously penalties are part of the game, but I thought this was actually a, maybe a slightly encouraging performance for USC, even with considering all of those penalties and everything, but maybe that's a misread. No, I think you're. I think you're right. They they ran the ball really well. Aka Cedric Ware, who may or may not have been punished because he said that they don't practice very hard or something, um, and he didn't play uh, against Washington State, but like a couple of plays. Now they said he had a knee injury and stuff, but he, he had a huge game. I've I've always said that people like get on me. I'm like I think he's going to be a really good back. He's a senior, so he hasn't done much, but. Uh, I I just like his all around game and he ran the ball for was like 160 something yards or whatever. So he, he was good. I think the running game was good. JT Daniels, I agree was fine. Um, they, they do some weird stuff. They get in their own way. 
Uh, they put in Devin Williams, like who's a freshman receiver, hasn't caught a ball yet, like in on the second series, and he gets like a false start. It, it just seems like they're doing things just to be cute, and and I'm not sure why. But the, those penalties and stuff kept were consistent throughout the game. Then the turnovers were happening in the second half, and it looked like Arizona almost didn't want to be there. Like there wasn't a lot of people in the stands for a you know big game in the Pac-12 South. And I I was touting Arizona as like they looked really good against the Oregon State team that we don't think is terrible. You know they ran the ball really well on the road. They looked hapless in the first half. Like it bad body language. It like just, it just didn't. Like, it yeah. did not look right. No, and you know Cleo Tate just did not look right. I mean he looked like he was on one leg and. Um, uh, it just something was weird, you know. So USC builds a twenty-four nothing lead, and then uh, and it was almost like they couldn't get out of their own way. And it was Arizona was like kind of ready to leave the stadium. They're like, oh, we're we're oh we scored okay, and oh the, hey, we actually maybe we could win this, you know. Like it was one of those things where like you just had given up, and you're you're just like kind of just wait for the clock to run out. And they're like, oh, they're they're letting us hang around, and uh, it was really really strange. Um, basically, what you know. Khalil Tate could do was throw the football sometimes and it wasn't great all the time, but you know, he threw a couple of nice balls, a couple of good touchdowns in there. They ended up scoring late on a, you know, seven times to try to get inside the five and they were running JJ Taylor into the middle of the line for whatever reason, instead of putting Brightwell in. So they put Brightwell in on the, like the second, fourth down and uh, he gets in for the touchdown and you know, the spread was three and a half and uh, we had, you and I both picked Arizona didn't look good when it's 24 nothing, but then Arizona comes back and you're like, okay, this is the reason USC hasn't covered a spread all year. And they would have covered the spread if they just made the extra point. And it wasn't blocked. It was he just missed an extra point. So instead of the we get the cover, this was a missed extra point that I was like screaming at the TV. <laughs> like, come on, dude. Uh, then they didn't get the uh, onside kick. So uh yeah, Arizona. Uh, loses, they can't feel great about it. Maybe they feel a little good because they're like, oh, we made a comeback. USC felt terrible after winning the game. Uh, the fans all pretty much have turned on Clay Helton because that just looked awful. It was bad football, and we didn't get the cover. So it was, it was a, a hor- yeah, honestly, a horrendous game to watch. Yes, like just horrendous. Um, no, nobody should have played this football game. They should have just walked into the stadium, <laughs> seen what was up after like a quarter, and just been like, okay, USC won seven nothing. We're out. We're done. It's so strange, you know, like what? Sometimes it's just like that, though. Sometimes it's yeah. like a 730 game and it's just like, no, nobody's up for this right now. Let's just call it a day. Yeah, but whatever. So it, it wasn't great football. I, I don't know what to think about Arizona now um, because I really felt they're, like they were coming back. They're definitively better than Oregon State, maybe better than UCLA, but that's about all we can say at this point. Okay. All right. Uh, the next game, this was uh, one of the... You know, maybe the only good one. We have our number nine team, Utah Utes. And uh, they were on the road taking on a spunky Washington State Cougars. Yeah, this game was a ton of fun. Um, so Washington State ultimately won 28-24, um, but it required a fourth quarter drive from Gardner Minshew, kind of um, making up for, you know, that that tough uh, experience at the end of the USC game where he wasn't able to lead him to the, uh, to the victory. Um, and it was not, didn't really require much. <laughs> it was one, basically two plays and one big time pass to, uh, Aesop Winston, um, where it was, it was kind of a busted coverage for Utah. 
Um, and then he just ran a very, very long way. Um, but this was, a, this was kind of a fun game, um, especially in the first half where it was a kind of back and forth and shockingly so because Utah's offense had been so bad um, yeah. coming into this game. But they, I, I think they were trying to really establish their identity in this one because they came out running the ball and running the ball and running the ball constantly. And I think it, I don't know. I think it kind of threw off Washington state a little bit. Um, Utah was super content to just grind out three yard carries on first down and just grind and grind and grind and run the ball. Um, and it worked. I thought Zach Moss actually did a pretty nice job. He's not going to have a great yards per carry number at 3.5, but he was getting successful runs and, um, converting and doing what he needed to do. And Tyler Huntley, um, kept the ball well on some reads and looked good running the ball. Now, Throwing the ball, not so much, um, but they've clearly decided they're going to lean on that run game. And I think it's probably the smart move for them if they're going to generate any offense going forward, because I don't know what happened to Huntley. Um, he w- he looked like a much better passer at the beginning of last year, but it yeah. seems like he may have regressed in some areas, unfortunately. Um, and then on the other side, I thought Washington State, um, my sense of it was that they were pretty clearly the better team throughout the game. Yes. Um, it was some weird stuff for Utah. Like they were able to grind out some long drives um, and Washington state probably allowed them to be a little too efficient, um, but they weren't allowing a ton of explosive plays. It was just, you know, what Utah just kept getting their three or four yards, three or four yards. Um, but Washington state was, they were getting things easier offensively. Um, and Gardner Minshew was once again, Maybe not quite as sharp as he was early on against USC. He was still pretty damn sharp. Yeah. Um, and this receiving core for Washington State is really good. Um, as as Mike Leach described Kyle Sweet, he's slow but open. Um, <laughs> and I thought that was a good description. And he had a few moments in this one where he had key conversions where he was slow but open. Um, and Winston, I thought, you know, he's a guy who's capable of running away from defense. Desmond Patman's a guy who's capable of catching the ball over some guys. Um there's a lot of nice pieces on this offense. I think this defense is competent, um, and uh, it was a nice win for them where, I, you know, watching the game live, I thought Washington State should have been ahead by more. They probably should have been ahead at the end rather than having to come from behind. Yes. Um, but it was a it was a nice win for them. No, I agree with you there. And so this was weird. Um, this was the first game, and you're, that was like 6 p.m. your time, right? Like the first Pac-12 game? Yeah, which is so weird. Why did they have seven games, all of them starting? And I'm, and I'm literally just whining here. Why did they have seven games all starting after six p.m. Eastern? Yeah, all of them. So, uh, and this was Pac-12 Network, so I had to watch it on the tablet. I don't get it on my TV or anything. But and this was homecoming for Washington State, which that you know, mm-hmm. and this was basically a pick'em. We got this one right at the end, but um, Utah gets a tip ball interception on the first drive. Uh, so Washington State comes out of the gate looking great. You know, they get the ball first, tipped interception. And then third and long for Utah, the next drive, uh, they completed a pass to Covey, and then he fumbles, but he got targeted. And then they reversed the fumble because of the targeting, which I don't remember them doing that before. Do you remember that happening? No. And in fact, I thought there was a play earlier this year where the tar- didn't the targeting screw Arizona State in a game? I think the targeting forced the oh, it forced the review. Yeah, because they reviewed both parts of the play, the targeting and the pass. But I think the targeting like because it was targeting, there was an incompletion, but they couldn't like give you the catch. But in this case, right. you got targeting and he fumbled. So they erased the fumble. So it was going to be like back to back turnovers. Uh, but once that didn't happen, then it kind of became Utah's game in the first half. Like Washington State was scoring, 
But Utah just kept it on the ground. Uh, they they got ahead. Uh, they had a long uh, Tyler Huntley uh, run in that one, and they and they just kind of kept ahead of the chains and kind of the scoreboard. It was the best offense I've seen from Utah this year. Uh, so they were on, they were up 14-7, and they had run 16 times and only passed twice in the first quarter. So they were just running the football. Um, and by the middle of the second quarter, Utah had 23 runs, and Washington State had 23 passes. So it was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. And the game was tied, so it was just completely different. And, you know, you said Minshew, I thought, looked almost as good as he did against USC, but there was a lot more drops in this one, like the, 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 the tip ball interception that whatever, but he had a lot of his receivers that were making those catches against USC. They weren't really doing them against Utah. Now Utah came in, I think with the best pass defense in the country, but um, there was a lot of drops there and stuff. So Washington state also had another field goal block for the second week in a row. So that's not good. So they just kind of were behind a little bit. And then the second half, the scoring just kind of slowed up. It just kind of dried up. You weren't seeing that much. Um, Utah kept winning the field position game. So they would like get a couple first downs and then punt and, and Washington state was getting the ball at their 10 and they never could really uh, get out of there. And they were getting to Gardner Minshew a lot. The pressure I thought Utah was bringing, uh, was great. But, um, that if you remember Covey had a punt return for a touchdown and that was negated because of a block in the back. So that hurt them. Uh, but three times in a row, they were backed up inside the 10 and then, you know, they were just kind of waiting, waiting, waiting. And then they hit that 89 yard touchdown pass. Uh, Winston, I think Winston was the receiver. He just made the Utah defensive back look silly, ran him around in circles. Um, and then, uh, Utah's driving at the end, trying to convert fourth down twice. It was what they got a first down on fourth down to, you know, to go ahead and try to win the game twice. Their first downs were wiped out with penalties. So good, good pack 12 refs there. And then one quick thing, I'm sorry. I took a lot of notes on this one. Every so if you if Yogi's gonna Yogi Roth our buddy is gonna cover uh, Washington State we have to do a drinking game anytime he says graduate level or graduate transfer you have to take a drink because he was saying that graduate transfer is playing at a graduate why, level the whole game why do you want people dying <laughs> sorry that was a long rant but I had a I I thought it was a really interesting game and there was I had a lot of notes on it so I just wanted to kind of share the, the, my thoughts. So Ryan brings up a really good point if you want to watch a sequence of events that's like the epitome of Pac-12 football. Um, watch the final drive for Washington State when they're trying desperately and succeeding twice oh, Utah. in converting a fourth... Oh, sorry, for Utah. Sorry. Um, succeeding twice converting a fourth down and both times negated by penalties. <laughs> and then they end up in like a fourth and 20 situation. And like no other league can I imagine just those calls being made. Yeah, they were they were legit. Like they were both legit. But like it's just... It's end of game. They're trying to do something spectacular. Just let them convert. Yeah. Like, come on. Um, so that was fun. But that, that was definitely fun. Um, this is a fun game. This is a fun game start to finish. Yeah. It were definitely worth uh, a few extra minutes um, chatting about it. So that was, uh, that was a good one. All right. So this next one, you know, it was pretty good, too. Uh, this is our, uh, our number eight team. California Golden Bears. <laughs> And they were hosting our number three team, Oregon Ducks. Yeah, so this one was interesting. So Oregon won 42-24, and I think Oregon's Oregon looks great. They look dominant. They look like a team you can't make mistakes against. Um, and that's kind of what this was. Cal was probably more competitive than this final score indicates, but they were just undone by just mistakes and just kind of goofy stuff that happened. Um, 
they were they played a really really nice kind of ball control style of play in the on the first drive ended with a field goal um you know converting that into a touchdown probably would have been ideal they drove uh, i think it was like a full 72 yards got it down to the Oregon 8 and then had to kick a 25 yarder um and then on the next drive they tried to go deep with garbers at the beginning and if you want to if you want like the quintessential arm punt that one was it. He kind of, if you were watching the game, he kind of rears back and throws it like kind of a moonshot. Um, and it was just a really, really catchable ball for the uh, Oregon DB. Um, and it was just kind of that sort of stuff where they would get in a nice position and then there would just be a turnover or just something bad would happen. They gave up a fumble touchdown in this one that brought it from 21-10 Oregon just before half to 28-10. And that just changed the whole complexion of things. Because at 21-10, you can say, okay, we have a good defensive second half. Make some things happen offensively. We can make this a game. But down 18, I just don't think that's reasonable. Um the QB rotation for Cal, I, I'm really starting to question it a little bit. I don't think anybody is a good passer. Um, Ross Bowers might be the best passer, and he didn't play in this one. No. <laughs> um, Garbers and McElwain, I mean, it's it's six of one, half a dozen of the other as far as passing the ball. McElwain had a couple of bad picks. Garbers had a couple of bad ones. But McElwain is a much better athlete and a much better runner, much more explosive and instinctual runner. I'd probably just ride him at this point and yeah. go with something like uh, sort of what Arizona was doing last year with uh, with Tate. Uh, he's not Tate by any means, but um, I would probably do something like that and just lean on the rushing attack because there's not a whole lot going on in this pass attack. Um, but that's uh, Cal. I think they're a good, competent team. I think they've shown that this year. I don't think an 18 point loss is super indicative of how good they are right now. I think they're a better team than this looked. Oregon, on the other hand, looks like a monster. Uh, Justin yeah. Herbert Justin Herbert was freaky accurate in this one. Their running game was really, really good, uh, just doing everything it needed to do and was explosive, which they haven't been explosive a ton, but they were explosive in this one. Um, but they were, they were perfectly good offensively. Um, defensively, I, I, a little shaky. Um, really struggled with those QB runs. Um, so I, I think there's, there's some, there's some teaching points there, but this Oregon offense is good. Um, you know, we had concerns at, um, at the end of last year when they had that struggle fest in the bowl game. Well, you know, has crystal ball been a play caller before? How's he going to do designing his own offense? And I think the combination of him and I think who's their offensive coordinator, Marcus Arroyo, um, I think they've done a, a really nice job. Um, and this offense looks legitimately pretty close to elite. So, um, yeah, that was a, that was, that was an interesting game. Yeah. I don't think the final score necessarily demonstrates how interesting it was. Yeah. Marcus Arroyo, I think is their offensive. Arroyo. Player. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Cal ended up having five turnovers, so that's not, that's no bueno. Right. And, uh, but both Laird and McElwain went over a hundred yards rushing. So yeah, you're, if you're like, if one guy's going to run the ball better then maybe just go with him, it was a really strange. So McElwain's the South Carolina, um, transfer and you know if you want to throw the ball more you probably have to go with Bowers because I haven't seen either of those guys look as good as he did throwing the ball um this one I was watching on my laptop Dave I, I bumped the Washington game because that was just such a it just it was, it was awful it was really hard to watch well we'll get to that in a second but oh yeah um I thought like the same thing great opening drive for Cal they uh you know it would have been it would have been good to get a touchdown obviously but they were doing they I think they had a trick play in there uh, you know, they, they ran McElwain, um, 
But, you know, then Justin Herbert comes back and he had a better answer. His drive looked awesome and they go up 7-3. And that was the first time Cal had actually trailed all season. Um, they, they said there was a, okay, I, I wrote this down because I think someone gave me a note on a brutal targeting penalty on third and long that helped give Cal the lead after that. So Cal was like keeping it close. I don't remember the targeting call, but I remember it was one of the tweets or something. I just wrote it down. I don't, do you remember that one at all? I'm not remembering it. Okay. I missed it. So I'll take it. So I apologize for that. But there, um, but then, you know, Herbert just came back. He put a couple more TD, TD drives together. So it was sort of like a back and forth thing early. Um, but then, so Cal get Cal forces a punt from Oregon. So it looks like, you know, they're in decent shape uh, down seven or something like that. And, uh, they get, uh, they do like this, what it looks like a fake punt return. Like they, he, the guy didn't call for a fair catch, but then he, you know, they didn't tackle him. It looked like he was going to fair catch and then he ran and he had a, a really nice return. Cal's driving, going in, um, you know, they're going to try to make it, you know, 21, 17. So yeah, I think it was like a, a 10 point game or something. And they do, they get sack fumble and return for a touchdown the other way. That was just a huge momentum. So instead of like 21, 17 at the half, it's 28, 10 and uh, give Cal credit though. They fought back. Um, you know, I think the start of the third quarter, uh, it was, I think it was Verdell had a 70, 74 yard run. He went all the way down to the one that started the second half. So then, you know, Oregon goes up uh, 35, 10. So it was like, it could have been like a four point game. And then it, you know, it ends up being way worse than that. Uh, and, you know, Cal kept turning the ball over, especially the quarterbacks. They did have a nice little comeback at the end. They, I think they had cut it to 11 and then they threw a pick six. So that sort of sealed it. So it was, it was there. I, I agree with you that I think it was there for the taking for Cal, but then these like kind of key mistakes at the wrong times, like right before the end of the half or when you're making a comeback and uh, you know, throwing a pick six, things like that. It just seemed like they were just a little off and, and Oregon seemed like they wanted some sort of revenge for giving away the game to a Bay area school the weekend before. Yeah. And I, I think that was also a, a good note for this one is that Oregon responded mentally from last week with uh, a pretty dominant performance. Um, they, they, they didn't really make mistakes and they capitalized on basically every Cal mistake. So that's, that's a mark of good coaching. That's a mark of good motivation. I think uh, Oregon is uh, fully and completely for real. So this one, I got this one right. So Cal was getting three points. I took Oregon. You took Cal. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I think you won that one. Uh, it was close. Like we had to, you know, that closer than it appeared, Ryan. <laughs> uh, it definitely was closer than it appeared. Okay, uh, so we only have. Uh, so that was what Cal. So we had Arizona State already said number seven. Uh, USC is number six. Washington State number five. So we've talked about those schools already. I had USC above Washington State because they beat them head to head, but whatever. Um, we had Colorado number four, Oregon number three, and then we just leave our top two teams um, that played out of conference games. So uh, dropping a spot to number two, uh, we have Stanford Cardinal. Yeah, so Notre Dame uh, beat Stanford 38-17. This was another one where, so it was kind of like Oregon, where at one point in the third quarter, you're like, wow, Notre Dame, like if you weren't watching the score, you're like, wow, Notre Dame is beating the hell out of Stanford. And then you look up and it's like, wait, why is this only a three-point game? Um, Stanford just kind of hung around in this one and they had 
absolutely no business hanging around in this game. Notre Dame was demonstrably the more dominant team, and they finally put them away in the fourth quarter. Uh, but they they could have won this game by five touchdowns. I mean, it was ugly. Um, so Stanford couldn't run the ball again, as has been the case all year. Um, and they also struggled in the passing game largely because their offensive line could not block Notre Dame straight up. Um, it wasn't like Notre Dame was blitzing a ton. Uh, they could not, like Jerry Tillery, he must have affected, I don't know, half of uh, KJ Costello's, what, 32 dropbacks? Like, it seemed like he was always in his face, and if not that, it was some different edge pressure. Um, the tackles for Stanford did a really, really poor job, but also just the interior was getting pushed back into Costello's grill. And Costello is, I think when the pocket is clean, he's more than capable of delivering the ball downfield accurately to his big receivers. But if he gets any kind of disruption, if he has to move his feet a bunch, he, his effectiveness drops off considerably. Um, I thought that happened in this one. Um, the passing game was really not a big factor for Stanford um, after it looked like a potentially dominant piece Um but I think I think you pin a lot of that blame on the offensive line. Um, I think if Costello had been given cleaner pockets, I think, you know, there was one really nice touchdown to J.J. Arcega-Whiteside where um, he had a clean pocket, threw an, a, a, a catchable ball to Arcega-Whiteside, and he did what Arcega-Whiteside does and boxed out the defender and scored a touchdown. Um, I think that was there, as it has been in every game this year, um, but when, um, when they're not getting any kind of pass protection it's going to be tough to do that um i will say notre dame safeties and linebackers are athletic and they did probably a better job defending stanford's big receivers than maybe anybody in the pac-12 is capable of doing um so that probably played a role as well but um if i'm if i'm a stanford fan right now i would be very kind of concerned about this uh offensive line because it's a highly rated group they should be better than they're looking right now yeah, I agree with you there. And this was a this is a big blow for the Pac-12, in my opinion, because it was really a curb stomping. You know, between Washington losing to Auburn, who doesn't look that great, um, USC losing to Texas, this one, um, it's uh, it's it's it, you know, it's bad for the Pac-12. And the fact that Stanford was able to beat Oregon the previous week, like Oregon could have been one of those teams, and now they have a loss. Um, so yeah, the only undefeated team left in the Pac-12, you know, in the month of September was Colorado, which is crazy. Um, this was, uh, you know, this was the hundredth game for David Shaw. I don't think he's going to write much about it in his memoirs or anything. It wasn't very good. Um, it was funny. Uh, early on, Stanford like came out of the gate three and out. You're like, okay, where are they going? Uh, but they ended up stopping Notre Dame on a fourth and one, the next drive to get it back. And it seemed to like, make it close in the first half, you know, uh, Notre Dame got on the board first. That was Dexter Williams first touch of the season. Cause he was suspended for the first four games, 45 yards up the middle. So that was, that was kind of a sign of things to come. Um, and I didn't think the Stanford passing game was very crisp. They had a lot of passes defended. There were some that dropped. Um, but then they looked better after Notre Dame scored. And maybe it was just because Stanford was behind and there, you know, I know some people are like, Hey, maybe Stanford just needs to fall behind. And then you could kind of rely on what's really working for this team, which is, you know, throwing up to the big receivers. Uh, Love did have a big, he broke big one for a touchdown. Um, but then I think he got hurt in the fourth quarter and left the game, but just never, he wasn't super effective. I thought, and, and Notre Dame seemed to out Stanford, Notre, like Stanford in some of the, the way they were throwing to the receivers. It just seemed to be better on that side. And, you know, they made the quarterback switch and stuff, but, 
at the end of the day, it was like close for a while. And then, you know, Notre Dame pulls away. Like, same thing like you said, Dave. Like, I felt the same way. Like, Notre Dame had 550 yards and Stanford had 229. They ran 88 plays to 51 for Stanford and had 29 first downs to 10. Um, they, you know, they, com- they converted, help, you know, helping that. Nine of 17 on third down. Stanford was only three of 13. And Notre Dame ended up having nine tackles for loss. So, they, to me, it seemed like they dominated the game, but it was still close for a long time. And then, you know, Notre Dame finally pulled away. But it... This one didn't seem close at all uh, throughout just the way Notre Dame was playing. No, and it was it was like close in that weird Stanford way like they were kind of against Oregon where I was just like, oh, they're going to win this stupid game. They're going to win this game. They have no business winning. Uh, but ultimately, they weren't able to. But yeah, uh, like into the fourth quarter, it was like, well, I mean, if Stanford just puts together one drive where they can get a little bit of protection, they, they could 100% do this. Um, but it just didn't happen. Their defense... I think their defense is like fine. I don't think it's great. Um, I think Notre Dame's really good. I think that's a big part of this. Notre Dame looks like an elite team, and I that's that's like a disgusting thing for me to say, but they look really, really good. Um, and I don't know if this is super indicative of like major problems Stanford's going to have with Pac-12 teams because I don't think anyone in the Pac-12 is as good as Notre Dame looks this year. Um, so, but I think if we're talking about, you know, going into this game, Stanford was four and oh, and you know, ranked number seven in the country. If we were ever talking about Stanford as a legit playoff contender, this exposed the flaws with that argument. They don't have an elite offensive line. Their defense is fine, but not great. Um, and they still haven't been able to get their running game, uh, going. And I think, you know, if you're looking for someone in the, in the PAC 12 to make a playoff, that certainly hurts Stanford's chances. Uh, Notre Dame's going to also play USC at the end of the season. The way those teams look, it doesn't look like that would be close. So um, it's uh, it's not looking great for the Pac-12 right now, David. I don't know. We'll I mean, it's still early, but you would hope, you know, a Stanford or an Oregon or a Washington, because the North is the is the power, uh, you know, division in the Pac-12. You would like one of those teams to at least be undefeated at this point, and none of them are. Yeah, and the unfortunate thing is. You already know Bama's got one sewn up. I mean, they look just bizarrely freakily, freaky. Um, Clemson, probably. Um, they got past their one scare of the season against Syracuse. Yeah. Um, and then the Big Ten, they'll get, you know, one of that triumvirate in Ohio State, Michigan, or Penn State. And Ohio State just took out Penn State, so we'll see. Um, and then it's Notre Dame. I mean, if, if Notre Dame finishes this year undefeated, there is no way they're not going to be in the playoff. Yeah. So, yeah. Georgia, like there's, I mean, yeah. like you could And then there's to, Oklahoma too. I mean, Oklahoma yeah. might finish undefeated. It's going to be the, very it, hard. Like outside of Colorado, like almost you have to go undefeated. So it's almost like you have to have Colorado win. Like I don't know if a one loss Stanford, I don't think it's getting in because there's Notre Dame's going to be there. A one loss Oregon, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it can happen this year unless some weird stuff happens. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, we'll see. Okay, so our new number one team. And, that, you know, that's the other issue is, like, you know, is Washington is still – if they're going to be the class of the conference. And Auburn doesn't look like they're the best team, you know, like in the top three of the SEC, right? So, I don't know. But our, our number one team. Washington Huskies. <laughs> yeah, so um, this is – uh, all right. So Washington beat BYU 35 to seven. And I'm trying to think because so the solid verbal, they have a thing where they, they talk about the way Alabama beats teams as a crock potting. 
And like, I don't know if that's perfect for the way Washington beats teams. This feels like they're slowly just stacking bricks on top of you. And you just, you just slowly suffocate and die. Does that feel right to you? Yeah, that would, uh, but it's I, sort of a cask of a Montiato thing happening, you know, like the Edgar Allan Poe thing where they, they brick up the dude in a behind a wall, you know. He's just, you know, that one. I not off the top of my head, no. Well, the 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 listeners will get it. That's what it feels like when Washington beats a team because they're not like you know dominant offensively, but they just squeeze the life out of you. They just suffocate you. Um, BYU was shut out for most of this game. Um, they got nothing going on the ground. Tanner Mangum was like accurate throwing a bunch of dump offs, but I mean, he, he could find nothing deep. There were basically no big plays in this game for BYU. It was really, really bad. Um, and then Washington was just super like efficient, like basically making no mistakes offensively, except for one kind of weird intentional grounding earlier in the early in the game. But Jake Browning was 23 of 25. And I think BYU is kind of the, best type of good defense for him to go against because they're big and slow um so he doesn't have to deal with a lot of that like speed on the edge that kind of give his uh arms some fits when he's trying to hit it out to the sideline but he was really really good and accurate in this one um and they ran the ball really well but i think the story is as it has been throughout most of the peterson era this defense is really really good um they're able to shut down all different kinds of offenses but this kind of ground and pound byu attack i think they're well suited to stop and they uh they crushed the absolute life out of BYU. Yeah, we've I have nothing more to say about this. Yeah, we've seen BYU before. This is by far the worst they played. We thought that they would be a similar game to what Arizona State did the weekend before, but it was not. It was like I think Washington was just doing the same thing to Arizona State, but Arizona State had some life. They were kicking a little bit while you're getting covered in bricks. Like the first brick that hit BYU, they were like dead. Like they just didn't do anything else. Now I don't think as far as the referee stuff goes, it seemed like there was a lot of calls that went against BYU. Like, um, I'm not saying like home cooking stuff, but there was a lot of incompetence, but it just seemed to be incompetence that didn't help the uh, visiting team. I don't know. Did you notice that as well? Yeah, I mean, a little bit. Um, I It didn't stand out as much to me as because every game this entire weekend was refereed incompetently. Yeah. So um, it was just like, oh, okay, more, more, more nonsense. But it didn't feel like it was, uh, I don't know, maybe a little bit against BYU. But that might just be because BYU is one of the most dirty teams in the country. Maybe that was true. Yeah. Um, they had a chance in the second quarter. They like had a decent drive, shanked a field goal. Um, so they, they there was I think it was down 14 going into the half. Uh, they had some time. And then they fumble. And then they let Jake Browning run it in for a touchdown. So that same sort of thing right before the half. Uh, instead of them trying to score, they give up a, they fumble the ball and, uh, and, and Washington pounces on it and Jake Browning ran it in himself. So it was 21, nothing at the half where it didn't seem like it should have been that bad, but it was, um, just the way, you know, Washington wasn't trying to, you know, put up a whole bunch of points, but BYU just had no resistance. So, um, and so the, the first half Washington, I mean, uh, BYU had seven penalties for 50 yards, um, and so that seemed to hurt. And it always seemed to be inopportune times. And and Browning, like you said, he was 14 of 15 for 176 yards in the first half. So he missed one pass, which was crazy. Um, so I, after a while, I just turned this off. It was like 26 first downs for Washington, seven for uh, BYU. Washington was nine of 12 on third downs. They had eight tackles for loss. It just was like, 
yeah, like the crock potting or whatever you want to say. It was, uh, it wasn't good. And BYU by far did not, you know, they, it, I've only seen it a few times this year, but this was the worst I've seen them play. So good for Washington. I think they just pounded them. Um, you know, they, I, I thought it would be similar to what the Arizona State game was the week before, and it was nowhere close to that. No, no. And we got, was... we both got this one wrong because it was like a 10 point spread or something. And, uh, it no, was no, like, no, no, no. It was like 18, 17 or 18. Was it? Do we, uh, yeah. what do we put down? Oh, 17. Yeah. 17 point spread. Yeah. Um, either way, <laughs> it was, uh, it did not work for us. All right. Well, that's our, that's our Pac 12 roundup. Cool. Very cool. Seven games. We, that was a lot of games. That was that was so many games. And so now, Washington, so many games. Washington's our new number one. Would you have still have Washington one, or would you put Stanford one, or where? Oh God, no! Stanford definitely not one. Um, I I would be intrigued by Oregon at number two. I think you can't do anything but put Washington number one at this point. Okay. Um, I think I'd have Oregon up to number two because, frankly, they should have beaten Stanford, um, and they should be undefeated right now. Um. And from an eyeball test standpoint, they've probably, I mean, you could make a case for them, number one, um, I think, because from an eye test standpoint, I think they've looked the best. Um, but I think that Washington-Oregon game is going to be a ton of fun this year. Yeah, for sure. Um, should we make some picks? Let's do some picks, man. Well, well, I, I, I want to talk to you about our picks. So what, what was I this week? You were uh, two and five. I was two and five. Yes. But what are we on the season? Are we still doing pretty well? Well, so uh, I am 29, 13, and three, and you are 27, 15, and three. So both of us are doing very, very well against the spread. Okay. All right. So that's really good. Um, so I, I, everybody out there, um, I'm not going to recommend you guys gamble. I mean, but if you are a gambler, you should go to betdsi.com because betdsi.com has been paying winners for 20 years. Um, top rated on all betting review sites. You can use your sports knowledge to make some extra cash. All you have to do is go online to betdsi.com or their easy-to-use mobile site. They have the fastest payouts in the industry. You can play, win, and get paid. Uh, BetDSI offers betting options for everything. You can bet on football and all their major sports, politics, reality TV, esports, virtually everything. You want to bet on a Supreme Court confirmation? You can probably do that at BetDSI.com. Uh, you can try live betting at BetDSI where you can bet on every play, every drive, and every score until the final whistle blows. I don't know if you can bet on like the Pac-12 refs blowing a call, um, <laughs> but it would be cool if you could. We're going to check and you should look, that. You should look and see. Uh, but if you want to use BetDSI.com, use promo code CHAMP18. That's C-H-A-M-P-1-8. Uh, First-time deposits get a 100% bonus match on your money up to 500 bucks. Uh, once again, go to BetDSI.com and use promo code CHAMP18 and get this limited-time 100% bonus up to $500. It's only a game until you bet it at BetDSI. We gotta, I think we got to start doing that. Now, this week uh, wasn't great, but overall, we're doing well. Like we, We'd be doing pretty good if we were doing uh, BetDSI the whole season. Yeah, I, I did it at, after a certain point last year. I did it, um, and I think I fi I netted like I was I was not betting much. I was betting like I don't know five ten bucks a game, but I netted something like I don't know. I, I started like halfway through the year and I netted something like forty bucks by nice. the end of the year. So, not bad. Yeah, yeah, not bad. All right, so should we do our picks now? Let's do them. Okay, so uh, these are all 
these are all no data games, right? Yeah, all Saturday games. So, uh, yeah. So this will be good. All right. So the first game we have Arizona State Sun Devils <laughs> on the road to take on Colorado Buffaloes. And it's exclusively conference games. So that's cool. Um, no non-conference interlopers this weekend. All right. So at 1 p.m. on the Pac-12 Network, we got ASU at Colorado. The spread on this game is Colorado minus two and a half. That means on a neutral field, this is more or less a pick which feels kind of right. Um, I think we like both of these teams as competent solid teams on kind of both sides of the ball. Um, and, you know, Arizona state has its newly discovered running game and a big time receiver. And Colorado has a newly discovered explosive running game and a big time receiver. Um, I, I there, I, I think Colorado maybe has a slight edge defensively, um, maybe a slightly better defensive team, but for the most part, these teams look kind of similar. Yeah. Um, I think it's 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 a really even game for me. Um, I think what it comes down to is that it's going to be at Boulder. Um, we saw what the elevation did last uh, last weekend to UCLA, um, and you know I think UCLA is probably a little bit thinner and younger than ASU, so maybe it won't affect ASU nearly as much. But I think I like Colorado getting two and a half here, or not, given two and a half. I think I'll take Colorado minus the two and a half. Um, and, and win this game at home. If it was on, if it was at Tempe, I'd probably swing the other way, but I think they're pretty evenly matched teams. Um, I think, uh, Colorado is going to be able to make some plays. I think Arizona state's going to be able to make some plays. I think it's going to be a back and forth offensive game. Um, but I think I like Colorado to win ultimately. I'm going to agree with you there. If I think, I think it was, I would have to think about this more if it was more than a field goal, but less than a field goal. I think I'm going to go with Colorado, and mostly because I think Steven Montez has outplayed Manny Wilkins so far this year, in my opinion. I don't know if you agree, but, um, you know, I think going in, you would pick Manny Wilkins over um, Steven Montez, but, you know, they I think both running backs have been great, and, uh, you know, Harry at one wide receiver and Chenault the other one, but I think Montez has just played a little better there at home, so I'm, I'm going to take uh, Colorado when you only, only have to give two and a half. Yeah, I would say that I'd say that's accurate, especially in the last two games. I think Manny Wilkins was shaky-ish against Washington, and then he really wasn't that sharp last weekend. Uh, missed some throws to Nikhil Harry, um, just kind of sailing some balls the same way he was the previous week against Washington. So going into a road environment against a, a tough-ish defense, um, yeah, I think that might be that might be the 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 play on the field reason for picking Colorado. I think they're going to get a little bit better quarterback play. Okay, uh, the next one, this should be a, a real close one. Washington Huskies. <laughs> I guess. UCLA Bruins. This game's on in prime time. Why did they do this? Uh, this is at 4.30 on Big Fox. Number 10, Washington, going to UCLA. Here's a line that's going to shock you. Washington is favored by 21. Huh. Why is this not 30 points? <laughs> um, all right. So Washington's four and one. They're number 10 in the country. UCLA is 0 and four. I, the, the way you would talk yourself into UCLA is the way I've been kind of talking to myself about this team the last couple of weeks. I think UCLA is going to have its best games against teams that have elite defenses or very good defenses, but shakier offenses. 
And while that's true of Washington, their offense is still probably like at worst, like second or third best in the entire league. So it's not as if they're bad. They're just, they've got a comparative advantage at defense. Um, But UCLA, they have a little bit of speed defensively. In theory, their defensive backs are good, though they haven't looked good the last couple of weeks. Um, You could see a situation where they make life a little bit difficult for Jake Browning. And the rush defense is better than it was last year when they gave up a ton on the ground to Washington. So you could talk yourself into UCLA holding down Washington a little bit um, from a defense versus Washington's offense perspective. The question is, how is UCLA going to score? Um, Dorian Thompson Robinson looked bad last weekend. He might oscillate back to, you know, slightly below average, which is where he's been most of the year. Uh, but is that going to be good enough to score? I don't know, like even uh, 14 points against Washington. I don't know. know. I really don't know about that. Um, the question is, is Washington going to score 35? And I think ultimately it'll get away from UCLA kind of the way it's gotten away from UCLA the last couple of weeks. It could be a really competitive first half. I could see UCLA being down a score at halftime, but I just don't think they're going to be able to sustain the drives offensively that they'll need to to keep their defense from getting worn down. And I think ultimately Washington covers the spread and wins by, I don't know, 24 points. Yeah. I would, I, I would think this has to be like a four score spread. Like three does not seem like enough to me. And, and you know, first half, I think it could be competitive. I would have a first half spread of, of something much lower, but then, you know, by the end of the game, I would think at least 24, you'd have to go. So 24, I think I would think about it 24 and a half, but 21. Yeah. I'm going to have to take Washington on this one. Um, We'll see. I, I like the way UCLA played the first half, like I said, but I don't know. Uh, even though it's at home, you know, maybe they play longer. Uh, they play better for a while. Uh, I mean, they got blown out by Fresno State at home. Yeah, and Washington, you know, you don't trust them covering spreads. Like, I don't think this is something Chris Peterson is going to try to do. He's not going to throw. Uh, if this is a twenty-one point game, he's not going to throw a bomb with three minutes left, um, like what we saw Herm do, but. Uh, yeah, I, I just got to take Washington in this one. It just doesn't seem like enough points for me. If they're going to do BYU at 17, um, yeah, BYU, uh, UCLA needs to be higher. Yeah. Okay, uh, our next... Yeah, they, they do need to be higher to deal with the results of this game. <laughs> All right, next game. Uh, we After, uh, yeah, so they're back on the road. Washington State Cougars. <laughs> But not that far down the road, going to Oregon State Beavers. So this is a 6 p.m. game on the Pac-12 Network. Uh, Washington State four and one, traveling to Oregon State one and four. Washington State is a 16-point road favorite. So 16 points actually feels like kind of a lot, but. I said that a couple weeks ago when Arizona was a road favorite at Oregon State and then Arizona beat them by like 15 points more than the spread. I think I might be overrating Oregon State because I adopted them two weeks ago and they've since turned out to be maybe as bad as UCLA. Um, I, I think they'll be able to score a little bit against Washington State. I don't think that Washington State defense has been super dominant, but I think it's been good enough. Um, it, it, you know, they did just give up a pretty decent amount on the ground and you could see Jamar Jefferson running for a decent amount against Washington state, but I just don't see this Oregon state defense stopping Washington state a ton. 
Um, I think Gardner Minshew is going to have another really good game, and I think they'll cover these 16 points. So give me the Cougs. Man, I'm going to agree with you. 16 just doesn't seem like enough, and I've I've taken Oregon State in a bunch of points, more points than this, twice, and they haven't covered either one of them. It's you know, 16 doesn't seem like a lot. Now the last two weeks, Oregon State's been run all over, and Washington State's not going to run all over you, but man, they can throw it all over the field, um, and it doesn't seem like 16 is enough where. You know, it's like if you're up by 10, Washington State's still probably going to be trying to score in the fourth quarter. They're not going to be shutting it down. So it doesn't seem like, you know, it'll be they won't cover the spread because you're not trying to score anymore. It seems like at this point, if you're not covering the spread in the fourth quarter, you're still going to be trying to score. So I think Washington State's going to score a bunch. Um, I'm curious to see what the Oregon State defense does uh, when they're not getting gashed on the ground. I just kind of think they're going to get gashed (laughs) through the air. And uh, yeah, this this is another one that just seems like not enough. So I'm going to take uh, Washington State as well. All right, uh, our next game we have California Golden Bears <laughs> heading to Tucson to take on Arizona Wildcats. Wow. All right, so this is a 7 p.m. game on Fox Sports One, three and one Cal at two and three Arizona. This line opened at Arizona minus one and a half, and it has since shifted to Cal minus one. Um, So a lot of respectful money coming in on the Bears. Honestly, after watching the way Arizona just did not seem engaged in that USC game and the way Khalil Tate clearly looks banged up or just whatever is causing him not to to really run with the ball much at all. Um, And Cal being sneaky competitive against Oregon where they – yeah, I thought they should have been playing a much closer game than what it ended up being. I'm going to take Cal. I'm going to take Cal minus one. Um, I like him to win this game and uh, and do a pretty nice job of shutting down what has turned into kind of a one-dimensional Arizona rush uh, uh, entire offense, actually. Um, and, uh, and I think they'll be able to maybe find a little bit more success on the ground against Arizona as well. So... Yeah, give me Cal. I think they can win this game relatively comfortably. Yeah, what is this line? Like, how how is Arizona favored to start? Like, what did anybody watch? Like, no, uh, no. That, that was that was USC mistakes that made that a four point game. Otherwise, it could have been a seventeen point game or more. Uh, uh, yeah, that no. Uh, give me Cal. I know, they, like they they fought hard last week, and they could have been a lot closer than that. I'm going to just take the bears. I mean, I think they win by two touchdowns or something like I, yeah. I mean, not that they're the offense is great, but the defense is really good. And, uh, you know, it, it just did not look like a great Arizona. I mean, uh, Arizona offense, if they're not going to run all over you with uh, JJ Taylor and stuff, I don't think you're going to run all over Cal. So I think Cal's going to do your best to make you one dimensional, shut you down and, uh, they'll score enough points to, to cover this easy. Um, that's a weird one. All these lines are weird, Dave. Like I want to pick against you, but like, uh, it's they're pretty, weird lines. They're weird. They're, like, weird lines. they're really clear. Like, and maybe we'll get them all wrong, but it just seems like there's no way that this should be going on. Okay. Uh, our last game that we we're picking, we got Utah Utes. pretty brutal stretch for these guys. They have going on the road to take on Stanford Cardinal. Yeah, really brutal. Uh, so this is a seven thirty game on ESPN two and two Utah at four and one Stanford. Uh, Stanford is favored by five points. Um, I think that's partly due to some questions about whether Bryce Love will be 
available for this one. He got kind of dinged up against Notre Dame. Um, whew, I, I, so I think Utah, I think it'll get back to um, teams having a little bit more difficulty defending against Stanford's uh, big receivers in this one. Um, and I think if Bryce Love is not healthy, that'll require David Shaw to lean a little bit more on the pass. But he might respond to that Notre Dame game by wanting to lean even harder into his identity. Like you could a hundred percent see Stanford oh, doing yeah. one of those like seventeen fourteen bloodbath games. That's just like interminable, awful to watch. But then he's at the end of it, he's like, "Yeah, you know, I thought we really established some things today." And it's like, "Oh God, all you established is that I never want to watch you play football again." <laughs> I could, I could really see that. It's ha. Uh, I think Stanford is clearly the better team. I think in a like perfectly organized and orderly world, they would win this game by considerably more than five points. Uh, I'm going to take Stanford. Five is weird for me. I, I could uh, I could really, really, really easily see this being a three-point game, but I think Stanford, without Bryce Love, if he's a little dinged up, they're going to lean a little bit more on the pass, and that might lead them to a, I don't know, seven to ten-point win. But uh, this... This, this is probably the one I feel the worst about. Yeah, I'm exactly with you here. I almost want to just pick Utah to go to just do something different. But um, I, I feel like Stanford's going to win by like a touchdown or so. The five does make it a little weird. Like it would be easier if it was like three or, or something. But um, yeah, I'm going to go with Stanford on this one. So, you know, Utah, what have we seen? We've seen them play Weber State. We've seen them have a close win over NIU. Uh, then they lost to Washington at home, lost to Washington State on the road. So they play Washington, Washington State, and Stanford, and the last two on the road in you know in in a four week stretch, which is kind of crazy. Oh, and they still have Oregon to play from the north later on in the season. That is brutal uh, for the Utes, and I just think it was a heartbreaking loss uh, to Washington State. Like their game plan was working on the road. Um, I don't think it's going to be the same sort of game plan that's going to work against Stanford. You're going to try to do what Stanford does better than them, and I don't think you're going to be able to do that. Uh, and Unless Tyler Huntley finds a way to just be more of a, din- a dynamic passer, I just don't see this Utah team doing what I thought they would do in the beginning of the season. So uh, I think Stanford's going to bounce back and play better at home after that you know, kind of crappy performance uh, in South Bend. And, uh, yeah, I like them by a touchdown at least in, in this one. Yeah. We'll see, but – Man, it's uh, it's rough. Okay, should we do our our confidence pool pick right now? Yeah, let's do that. So, okay, let's let me look at who I have fully screwed myself. You have? so that whole thing where we were like planning ahead of time to like, you know, plan out our picks. I didn't do that, um, and I didn't really give it a whole lot of thought. And I can't pick Washington State. Oh, you picked Washington. Or Washington. Okay, I still have Washington State available, so I could pick them because that's yeah, that's that's the obvious pick. Okay, the obvious one. I'm in a position where I have to pick either Stanford or Colorado. Uh, yeah, because well, Cal Arizona is basically a coin flip, right? Yeah, I'm definitely not picking that game. Um, and you you've already picked Cal anyway, so you'd have right. to pick Arizona. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Uh, I'm going to go Stanford. I'm not going to do it happily. I'm going to do it with a little bit of a catch in my throat, but I'm going to do Stanford. Okay. You're going to take Stanford. I will take, uh, Washington state. Obviously that's obviously, um, 
that's the biggest. We're going to be in a position at some point. You realize where we're picking a team that we think is going to lose the football game. Yes. (laughs) Like that's, that's coming. So should I change my, should I pick Utah just so I can root totally against you and get you out of the confidence pool? Like with that, that would be kind of fun. Do you want me to do that? Yeah, do it. All right. I'm going to switch my pick to Utah. So that means one of us will be out by next week. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I mean, uh, our pick against the spread. No, I'm not picking Utah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. God, God, God. Okay. Yeah. If I, if that's the only game I get wrong next week, I'm going to be mad, but, uh, yeah, I'll switch my pick to Utah. If you want to talk about something brutal next week is going to be tough. Just poking, looking ahead. Okay. So next week will be like the only pick is probably Utah. I mean, I guess Cal against UCLA you could go there. I think I already picked Cal though. Arizona, so okay, so there's Arizona Utah. That's the Friday night game, and uh, neither, I've already picked Arizona. Yeah. Uh, so you can't do that. Um, Washington Oregon. Yeah, that's like <laughs> no way, <laughs> no like, way anybody's picking UCLA that. and Cal. Uh, I haven't picked Cal. You have, so I could take Cal over UCLA. Um, and then Colorado and USC. Mm, no. Yeah, not like not touching that one. No, no. So. Now I already picked Colorado, so I couldn't pick. Okay. So it's really Utah or Cal next week. Yeah. So I think it would be Utah or Cal, and we haven't picked. You've picked Cal, so you pr- you're pretty much stuck with Utah next week. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So I will I will mark those down. I will take Washington State, and I switched picks against the spread. I'm going to take Utah plus five. So go Stanford. Okay. Well, actually, now you just want like, Utah to win by one, and then you're out of the – the pool but it's, it's gonna be kind of boring if, if one of us is out right like yes yeah <laughs> so we kinda, yes it'll just be it'll just be one of us just sitting here being like oh i don't know who i'm gonna pick uh, right and then the other one just sitting here wanting to well hey we got a him. we got a voicemail question i'm gonna play that let's get the voicemail all right here we go this is chris and corvallis checking in for state college pa live from the penn state game i tell you what i thought i was a redneck until i came to pennsylvania and then i found out i'm just kind of normal guy Anyways, just checking in, here to watch some real football. Anyways, my question is, do you think that USC next year will hire an actual head coach? And yes, they should fire Clay Helton, but who can they get? We're talking about the defensive coordinator for Clemson. What do you guys think? Checking out. Dave, I'm getting a lot of these, like we do our live shows and stuff. There's a lot of people, like even the most... That like the staunchest supporters of Clay Helton are kind of over it now. It's really strange. So, uh, for a guy that has a winning record this year and you know won ten and eleven games the last two years, he's pretty much lost most of the USC fans. Like I would say ninety percent at least. Did he uh, ever really have them though? There was, I mean, there's like half the fans are going to support your coach almost no matter what, and then you give them like a Rose Bowl win and a Pac-12 championship, and they have they have more feathers in their cap to say this is why I'm supporting him because he did this and that. Even those people, most of them are not on board anymore. They just look at the team and go, that one team was so much more talented than the other team, and they still almost lost. What is going on? Um, So he's definitely lost a lot of the fans. So short of like beating Notre Dame and and making another run like they did in 2016, I'm telling you, I don't think he's going to be back next year. Now, we don't know because there's a whole lack of leadership issue with no president at USC and uh, athletic director. There's never really talks much and you know has never done this before so maybe the lack of leadership around clay helton will keep him around longer if they do you know kind of go into the tank and, and lose a bunch more games but 
Um, I have no confidence that they would go out and hire the right person. I know some people come to me and like, well, who would want to coach there? And in my opinion, it's like, it's still a top five program of all time. You get five stars every year. Like you can cruise and not be that good and still win a Rose Bowl or still win the Pac-12. So uh, to me. You you mean like Clay Helton? Yes. Like literally on cruise control and you still can do those things. So there's a lot of advantages. So to me, you just have to go out and try to hire what you, you do, what UCLA did. They don't normally do this. They're like, you know what? This time we're not going to hire the wide receiver coach for the Denver Broncos. We're going to go get the guy that Florida wanted and the guy that all the other big schools wanted. We're going to go get, go get the, I mean, just like Chip Kelly, the guy who's been out of work for a year from the NFL. (laughs) He's got a pedigree. He went to USC. Go make the Jack Del Rio era happen. Yes. All right. No. So USC fans. My rule is for no more. There's if you're going to hire someone at USC, this, if I was put the athletic director, I'd say, okay, the first rule is you can't know the fight song. If you went to school here, I don't care what you're, <laughs> you're not allowed to, to interview. So if you base it on, no, you don't know them. Like there's not someone you're familiar with, then all you can do is hire by resume. So that's, that's all I'm asking them to do. Like stop hiring people that, you know, you know, and, and just go out and, you know, they didn't know Chip. You still didn't know Chip Kelly. They went out and get him. He, he's someone everyone wanted. So I don't, Chris from Corvallis, I'm not confident that USC is going to do that. That's what I think they should do, but they just never seem to want to go out and do that. They don't want to go out of their own little, uh, you know, circle of friends and circle, you know, that, and, and go get somebody, uh, which is really strange, but that's, that's kind of what they want to do. Cause it's someone, Chip Kelly is powerful, right? He has his own way. He's come in, he's ruffled a lot of feathers, right, Dave? Like, I mean, because he's an alpha coach. He's going to go in and do things his way. So there was a lot of people that work at UCLA that have been doing things for years and years and years that Chip Kelly, I'm sure, came in and said, you're gone or stop doing this or whatever. It's like disrupted everything. Now, if you win, it's worth it, right? Um, But I think USC has been reluctant to bring someone that's going to disrupt everything. Yeah, yeah. That's that's all true. And I think I mean, Clay Helton has obviously put himself in a bad spot by making some dopey decisions over the years, uh, not starting Sam Darnold uh, two years ago. I mean, who knows what how how that affected that team, because by the end of the year, they looked like a team that could have competed for something. Um, and then also they, they just they, they I mean, as somebody who's, you know, watched USC more times than I'd like to remember, just pound the ball down some team's throat. Uh, like UCLA for many years when I was a student, uh, they just don't look tough. Like a lot of times they're not really doing any of the smash mouth stuff. They look like a kind of a finesse team. Um, and it's just, you know, they look a little bit soft and I think that's, uh, probably a reflection of the program and the culture. So I get it. I think from an eye test perspective, if I was a USC fan, I'd be just, even went with them going whatever nine and three, I'd be like, "Oh, this is disgusting!" Like they they just don't look they don't look like anything I'd be expecting from a USC team. Um, so I I buy that. I you know it's not always about wins and losses. Sometimes it's about whether or not you're getting that uh, getting the level of play you should be from your talent. And I don't think USC is. And the fans hate the fact that he doesn't like to practice in pads for whatever reason. And they have a bye week, and they have, so you know eight days off or whatever. They're going to practice twice. They're going to practice on Tuesday and Wednesday, and that's it. 
They're going to take the rest of the time off, and fans are freaking furious. They're like, "What? Like they want you to practice well, they, they, more?" They still have they still have scholarship restrictions, right? That, you know, they don't have they don't <laughs> have enough, enough guys to practice. Wait, he, I, no. I I think when Lane Kiffin had to do all that stuff for USC, I thought he did a good job because you did have to manage a roster and do all that kind of thing. I think he made some really good decisions of a very tough situation, but that's where Clay Helton learned from during that, and they still have that mentality, which. You don't need that mentality anymore. So they're they're acting like they're trying to just p- get people healthy and all this stuff. And and fans just with them like go out and practice full pads. Like you're getting pushed around, just mix it up a little bit. Like they have a they just do the same thing every week, and it doesn't matter what happened on Saturday. They don't fix it and and say, oh, you know what, uh, we're getting pushed around on the goal line. We're going to do an extra day of full pads and 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 do some short yarded stuff. Like they never do anything like that, and it just really irks fans. Yeah. All right. You ready for a question? Yeah, are we doing the fan base judgment first? Is that the yeah, first one? Yeah, fan base judgment. Okay. 22 emails back. All right. Um, <laughs> you want me to do this one or you got it? or what? I'll get it. Okay. I'll get it. All right. This is from Alex. Uh, fan base judgment. Hey, Dave, the best thing about UCLA football the last three years and Ryan, the guy I'd grab a beer with despite your love of evil. Wow. <laughs> uh, I have a question not about fan base expectations, but the reaction to fan base expectations. Why do fans in the national media constantly dog UCLA fans for not supporting a coach like Alford for having unrealistic expectations and not being satisfied with Sweet 16, but no one bats an eye at USC fans demanding a new coach uh, coming off a conference championship and two-year bowl uh, two-year bowl games? What's th- or two New Year bowl games? Sorry, uh, what's the difference? Is there a difference? Um, recency bias. I think as part of it, uh, UCLA basketball hasn't been really good since, I mean, really since the seventies, but it hasn't been, it hasn't been a national title level program on a consistent basis since the seventies. Um, whereas USC has a little bit more recent, um, uh, success, but I think, uh, uh, so a lot of basketball reporters, this is kind of specific to basketball reporting. Um, if they are not like LA based guys, there was like this kind of built in thing because UCLA was so dominant for like 12 years from like whatever it was, 64 to 75, um, that there was a little bit of resentment, like for a certain class of sports writer, who's like 55 plus, who's a basketball guy. And they weren't like LA based. They do have a little bit of resentment of just how dominant that stretch was, and so they will constantly dog UCLA for unrealistic expectations based off of a narrative narrative that's literally forty three years old. Um, but I don't know. I don't really have a better explanation for it. There, it, it does seem like there's a little bit of a double standard there. I don't see USC getting knocked for it as much. But maybe I'm missing that. Do you see it, Ryan? Uh, you know, sometimes there are people like, oh, you know, what do you expect? There's blah, blah, blah. It's a different era. But I, I think the sports have to do just college basketball and college football were kind of um, almost on the same level at at one point. Right. And now they're not like it's just football is just yeah. so much. Um, so I don't know. So maybe that with the recency bias, but it just seems like it's a different it's comparing apples and oranges because like I used to watch, like we said, I used to watch a lot of college. I'd go, you know, big Monday or whatever. I'd watch games like, Oh, there's, you know, DePaul's on and Seton hall. And so like, I never watch any of that stuff anymore. Like it just, I don't know what it is, but it's just the product is not as good. And I watch way more college football than I've ever watched. So, um, and I don't think I'm alone. I think that's like kind of a common thing now. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. College basketball is taking a big backseat and that's probably part of it. And also there are fewer, I think, prominent programs, you know, yeah. USC, USC, there's also like six different SEC schools that behave the exactly the same. I mean, every school in 
college football behaves the exact same way now, whereas college basketball, there's still, you know, probably 80% of programs are still relatively patient and it's only the, you know, real top tier of, you know, programs who are churning out coaches like that. Yeah. Like a team like an LSU or something like they have, you know, national championship expectations playing next to Alabama and, you know, having won how many national championships have they won in the last, you know, whatever, like one, um, you know, one or two, they've won two, I think. Right. Uh, one with Saban, one with uh, less miles, but yeah, that's like, but they're still like, no one's good. You're not going to knock them for expecting that, even though you have to, you know, have Georgia and Alabama and all that stuff in your, uh, I think Georgia too, like they haven't won forever. Right. They, so they're like close all the time. The, they get rid of Mark Rick because, you know, he keeps winning 10 or 11 games, but it's not winning the championship. So I just think it's different, uh, in football, uh, than basketball, but Uh, let's go John in the Bay area, dear Ryan and beard guy. Oh, by the way, um, I would, I would get a beer with, uh, Alex. I know. So he says, I love evil. Is that about, is that like a a politics thing or what are we talking about that? No, no, no. I think he's a UCLA guy and you are a USC, uh, writer. Yes. Um, who went to the school and I, I'm assuming at one time you rooted for the school as a student. I did. Yes. But here in your in your in your journalist days, of course, you do not. But. We've talked about this before. It's just so weird how your mentality changes. You know, like, yeah, it's just so different. You know, yeah, like I, I so like I, and I've talked about it before. Like I'm still like you know, all things being equal, yeah, I'd like prefer them to have a good coach and like be good. But also like watching a lot of, and this is part of it where I think would have happened if I just stayed like a fan and not actually ever done this gig. Watching really, really, really bad football for so many years, I think, would have killed and exhausted any last little bit of fandom I had inside of me. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. But, you know, when you cover like recruiting, like, you know, like I covered Josh Rosen when he was like a freshman, you know, and I would follow him, um, yeah. you know, root for him now. It's like it's not it's just different when you start to kind of get to know kids from when they're younger and you follow where they go to school, no matter where they go to school. You just kind of I don't know. It's just different, I guess. But. Uh, it's your job. So it's like completely different. You got to talk about this all the time. And, uh, it's, it's hard to be, I I feel like a little part of me died, like the fandom that was very strong, but it's just, you know, it's just, you kind of move on, I guess. Yeah. Uh, um, so dear Ryan and beard guy, since college football is rich in traditions, I'm curious, which are some of your favorites in the pac 12? Are they the ones like Ralphie's run Washington sailgating traveler running down the sideline after USC touchdowns at the Coliseum Cal's card stunts, or maybe new ones like running an embarrassing mess of a football program at UC <laughs> Los Angeles. These favorites could be ones you've seen in person or would like to see in the future. Love the podcast and thanks for what you both do, John, in the Bay Area. Ralphie's run is cool as hell. It's I'll, awesome. I'll say that one. Yeah. Um, Sailgating, this, I love. Sailgating is awesome. Uh, Traveler's annoying. Um, Traveler's pretty awesome. <laughs> That's like about Taylor. as far as my fandom goes these days. I, like, and I think it's I like about as live, far as your fandom goes. I like live mascots, like any of them. You know, like when I got to see Florida State and they yeah. had the the you know with the spear, the, like that was all cool stuff. You know, I like yeah, that but stuff. the the stupid Trojan guy with the sword stabbing the field stuff. Eh. You can uh, me with he's that. alive, but he's a person. Like I like live like animals. Well, mascots. I mean, he's kind of a live mag- mascot, right? So yeah, but I, the the like, horse you, is what you, I like. Do you keep that guy in a cage? What happens to him? I don't know what they do with him, but I I, I wouldn't say like <laughs> that's my favorite thing. But the horse I like. I get it. The cow car uh, studs are cool. Like they're know, cool. Like sitting up yeah. on that for cow when you sit up on the tightwad hill. Like that's a cool tradition. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, I gotta uh-huh. think of other ones. I mean, doing like just some of the road trip stuff is uh is neat. Um, you know, just or, going organs, or, organs like vile insults that they shout at people are sometimes fun and interesting. We didn't cover that the Oregon Stanford game where they were throwing oh, God. stuff yeah. at the Stanford players. Like that was not a good look. I think I've mentioned I think I mentioned it before because somebody asked like a sincere question about like is there any real truth to like some fan bases being like a little bit worse and and I I do want like having gone to like all of these places Oregon gets a little funky and so does Washington State where like the things that get shouted are just a little bit different and a little bit worse yeah. um and I, you know again it's anecdotal it's just my experience but I, I've found that on multiple trips to each school in the in the league, and I I haven't been to Colorado, but judging by anybody I've ever met from Boulder, I'm not imagining it's a vile no, place to go. It's a pretty cool um, place, yeah. But Washington State and Oregon are the ones that stand out as that's uh, pretty hostile, pretty hostile, and it can be effective as like a home game environment stuff. I just you know it sometimes borders on not great. Yeah. Um, hey, real quick, I got the uh, Pac-12 football players of the week in the email just now. Thanks to our buddy David Hirsch. So offensive, who would you would you get? You want to guess? Uh, I'm guessing it's Eno Benjamin. It is, but I voted for uh, Gardner Minshew because Utah had like the the um, the best pass defense in the country. So I, you know, and he played. So that was like a more of a real game. You know, he didn't run over Oregon State. So right. is this a joke that you didn't vote for Eno Benjamin? It's not a joke. He averaged 10 yards a carry and had 300 plus yards. And we didn't mention this. He also caught for 27 yards and a touchdown. He had four touchdowns, 34 touches and like 350 yards. And you did not vote for that person. You voted for the one who put up 455 yards in an air raid system against Utah while also throwing a pick against Utah, though. So, okay, so again, I'm just going to recap. (laughs) <laughs> One guy has almost 350 yards on the ground, like between running and catching the football. The other one puts up a stat line that would pass for basically any air raid quarterback system quarterback in the last like 10 years for Mike Leach. All right. But it came against Utah. The best pass defense in the country. Yes. Okay. All right. I just want to make sure we've got our parameters correct. <laughs> Well, J.J. Taylor just ran for 284 yards against Oregon State the week before, right? Right. So, but- so it's pretty much the standard. <laughs> <laughs> I no, I get. It. I mean, he's. Uh, I think both players are deserving, but I don't know. That, I was a little surprised by that, but I, I get it. You know. All right, sound off, ASU fans. I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you after this this disrespect from Ryan Abraham. Oh, uh, okay. Um, okay, defensive uh, play. So this is for the safety from Oregon. Uh, Amadi, it's yeah. Uga Chuaku or something. I don't do well know. said. Well said. Is it? It was pretty close. Amadi. I, yeah, I, I no so he had two. So he had a. I, he was an easy. Pick. So he had two interceptions plus a pick six in the fourth quarter. Um, so that was like that when Cal was down eleven and he gets a pick six. So he sealed it for them. And then special teams. It's funny. USC gets a two weeks in a two weeks in a row. Uh, Marvell Tell because uh, he blocked a field goal against Arizona. So. If you block a field goal, you there wasn't really a lot of there was like oh you know five punts inside the twenty. There wasn't a lot of great guys to vote for this week. So uh, Brandon Ruiz hit like one field goal and like seven extra points or something or whatever it was. So it, there wasn't really a whole lot you could vote for. 
And this one, so Marvel Tell gets that one for the punt block. Cool. All right. Uh, this is from a Bruin Brian. Hi, Ryan and Dave. Your old pal Bruin Brian here again this week. Just a few random, unrelated college football questions. Which press box of the ones you've been to, obviously, in the Pac-12 has the notably best and or worst free food for journalists? Mm. I think uh, the L.A. schools are probably the worst. They have like box. Um, awful. Awful. And they used to be worse. Yeah, they used UCLA to have- used to have old hot dogs. Yes. I think USC, they use the same company or something. Um, and now it's like Bristol farm. So it's at least somewhat edible sometimes, but my sandwiches were always wet. Like they kept them in a cooler with ice and the, the like container or whatever was never like completely waterproof. And so the bread would just always be sopping wet. Yeah. Like just sopping wet. The, the, the latest cookies in the, the, the boxes that you get, they're like sealed in these, I don't know what they're sealed, like just like a saran wrap or something, but you can't open them without like just crumbling the cookie. So it's just like worthless. It's, it's very strange. Um, I don't know. I don't know if Bruin Brian knows what he's done. What kind of like, (laughs) what kind of thing he's opened up here? Because we are going to talk about this now for the next 25 minutes. Um, Colorado, I saw a picture (laughs) <laughs> that looked pretty good. They had some barbecue. Stanford was always pretty decent. Stanford's I think. really good. Yeah. Cal, uh, Cal had like colored uh, M&Ms that were like, you know, Cal, I, I love the snacks. So like, I'm like Stanford usually has like cookie arrays of homemade cookies. Cal had a bunch of stuff like Cal and Stanford. I think the Bay area does it pretty well. Yeah. I would say actually most schools in the PAC 12 that are not UCLA or USC do it pretty well. Yeah. The LA schools are garbage. Yes. Fair. Um, all right. And then number two, which broadcast network does the best job of broadcasting college football? Probably ESPN. Yeah, I'd say ABC, ESPN. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, I love Herb Street. Like the the, the top team of Herb Street. No, I like Joel Klatt and uh, Gus Johnson. But you know, Fox is just newer at it. Uh, I think they've made some done some good things. But I, ESPN's been doing it so long, and, and College Game Day is the best show on TV. So that's it. Well, and uh, so Big Fox is good, but when they get it on any, even FS1, but anything else for Fox, it loses some sort of quality. And I'm not enough of a aficionado to know what it is, but the sound is different. Like you're not getting as much field sound. It feels almost like a high school game sometimes when you're watching it on FS1 or something. Yeah, I know what and you mean. it's something to do with the quality, like where they're placing the boom mics or whatever's happening. They're not getting a certain amount of sound. Um, and it just makes it seem somewhat lower quality. ESPN has it down to a science. And so even if you're watching one of their like fourth tier games where they only have a few cameras and you're not getting a ton of angles, it still feels like a sharper production. Yeah. Um, three, which is the best live mascot in college football? For example, Ralphie. Oh, wow. A lot of mascot questions. Uh, Ralphie at Colorado, that lame white horse they have at SUC. I think that must be. Typo. Yeah, typo. Uh, the Auburn War Eagle. <laughs> Uh, Chief Osceola and his horse renegade at FSU and so on. So uh, the War Eagles, the, the Eagles, not really, it's not a mascot. It's just like something they do, right? Like It's really dumb. Um, but it's cool. So I, I, I looked up the Wikipedia for this at one point because I was really curious about it. And the university president's like explanation for it was, we are the tigers that say War Eagle. Yeah. And that was it. And that, that was the explanation for why they are the war Eagles, but also the tigers. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd probably go with, I mean, uh, Ralphie probably has got to be up there, but Bevo is pretty cool too. The, uh, the big longhorn. Yeah. Um, I mean, LSU has got a freaking real Bengal tiger. Like, 
Yeah. That, that's pretty the, awesome. You the know. UCLA laser bear. That's pretty that, cool. I would put that way up. Yeah. That's up there. I don't know if, what that if, is. If but it, yeah. No, the bear with lasers that shoots out of its the, eyes. The cow, you know, the cow boy and girl bears that like dress like they're in the 1920s and stuff like they're pretty cool. <laughs> They're like hanging out with like Pop Warner and Duke Rockley and stuff. Like, they're cool. No, but I think yeah. probably Ralphie and uh, yeah, Ralphie. Any, anything that could really hurt you, like Ralphie, um, Bevo, uh, definitely a Bengal tiger. I love like uh, Washington's husky is is an awesome dog. Like that's a, like those are that's that's pretty special. Like seeing that. Yeah, uh, but it's a dog, but, you know. So it's like it's like you could buy that, you know. Like you you want something you right. can't go to the store and buy. No, yeah, I want a, I want a buffalo. Yeah, of some sort. buffalo is yeah. pretty freaking. Uh, it's pretty badass. And as far as like dressed mascots go, it's like probably puddles, right? Like the duck, like that's probably the the best one. Yeah, puddles is cool, really distinctive. Um, I, the stupid Stanford tree is fun. Um, yeah, <laughs> a, a, annoying as hell, but fun. Yeah. Uh, so okay, and number four. What non-Pac-12 stadium would you most like to visit on a game day, and why? LSU. LSU. Why? For obvious reasons. Uh, it would be. I think it's. It seems like a crazy environment. That's a ton of fun. A night game and Baton Rouge. I think would be uh, uh, one of those seminal college football experiences. Yeah, I, there's a lot I've been able to. I've you know I've been to Auburn. I've been to Arkansas and Tennessee. Um, so those are kind of cool. I, you know, it goes to like Alabama or something would be awesome. But I think Old Miss, like seeing the Grove, like all the stories you hear about how awesome that is, where it's just kind of like a, it'd be a very different experience. I think I might go like just to pick one uh, Old Miss. I've been to like Ohio State. The, the horseshoe was awesome. You know, the big house would be great. There's, I mean, there's so many that would be good that I haven't gone to. But uh, maybe I'll go with Old Miss. Yeah, that seems fair. And then who's your favorite? Uh, who's your currently working favorite college football play-by-play announcer? Um, who's the guy? I, I like uh, what's the, the Herb Street crew. Who's the other guy? That it's um Fowler. Uh, Fowl. Wait, no, is, is it? it? No, it is Fowler. Yeah, Fowler. Yeah, uh, probably yeah. him. I would probably go with him. Yeah, Fowler's good. I don't really have any strong thoughts about play-by-play guys usually. Um, whoever was doing the UCLA game on Friday night was horrible. <laughs> Both the play-by-play guy and the color guy. Oh. Uh, awful. I, I don't know what their names are, but I just I, I wanted to say that. Um, all right. You want to do the next one? Sure. Stanford Info. I listened to your podcast, two words, and I am in, in, in agreement about Stanford giving uh, Spates more carries than Scarlett. Was it? Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. So we're talking about the backup running back. Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, Spates more carries than Scarlet. But I, as I understand it, he was out for the Oregon game. There's a good chance he'll be back for Notre Dame. So we shall see. Thanks. Go Cardinal from Darius. Okay. I didn't know. And he that. was, he was back and he okay. played a little bit. So, all right. Uh, text message. Uh, USC was put in the list of teams that could win the college football playoff in the next five years, which is outrageous to me. I, of course, agreed with Stanford and Washington, but how do Oregon, Cal, Washington State, and even Colorado not belong on there before USC? Learning how to coach football is a lot harder to do than learning how to get better recruits, and Clay Helton is the only coach at an aforementioned school that needs to learn how to coach football. That was a joke, but honestly, doesn't having a coach that has set a solid precedent of being able to legitimately outcoach his opponents a lot more valuable than having a guy that can capitalize on a school's recruiting potential? No. Every USC coach since Carroll, barring the greatest coach of all time, interim coach O, has been unable to prove that they can outcoach their Pac-12 counterparts. Aren't you assuming they find this if you claim they have any chance at winning a national title? 
Possible that I just find this to be a more unreasonable of an assumption than you guys do, which is why I ask. Hope you guys decided to talk about this on the show. I'm a big fan. Sure thing. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's fine. You want to outcoach, you know, if you're, you know, Tyrone Willingham. I mean, Tyrone, oh my God. Wow. Kyle, Kyle Willingham, Tyrone, holy crap. Um, and you're outcoaching uh, Mike Leach or something, that's fine. But then you got to take it to the next level and beat somebody that's good from outside of the Pac-12. And you need players to do that. So that's why you say that USC would have an easier time over the next five years making the playoff than Colorado or Washington State or Cal. I think all those teams have better coaches than USC does right now, but USC has far better players. And if you want to, you know, USC stumbled in 2016, went one and three and won the Rose Bowl beating a, a really good Penn State team. I don't think Colorado or Washington State or Cal would be able to do that, but you can at USC because you just happen to have Sam Darnold and a bunch of dudes that are that are in the NFL now. Um, I think that's the big difference. If you put a good coach together with that, that's fine. So over the next five years, you can assume USC can get a coach and still have those same level of players, which they seem to always have. That's why I would put them ahead of those other teams. Yeah, I mean, the, basically what it comes down to is USC's recruiting baseline. Like what happens if USC has like just replacement level coach not even doing a great job recruiting just kind of recruiting what's there doing his usc due diligence like the baseline is like a top 10 class like it's just that's that's what usc gets when they wake up in the morning um nobody else in the pac-12 can come close to that um stanford gets its pick of a certain type of elite recruit nationally and sometimes that equals a top 10 to top 15 class and sometimes it equals a top 25 class uh, UCLA, when it has a coaching staff that's recruiting, uh, recruits pretty well when it doesn't, it doesn't, um, Washington is recruiting at a decent enough level. Now it's like consistently top 20, top 25, uh, Oregon seems to have increased its cache recently. They look like they're a pretty solid top 20 recruiting program. Obviously the last two years have been better. Um, but USC just from a baseline level has a higher level of talent than everybody else in the Pac-12. And that's true year in, year out. If and when they ever figure out the coaching situation, they are the, you know, at this point, they're kind of a prototypical sleeping giant in that they haven't really put it all together. And they've still won a Rose Bowl. Like they've still won the Pac-12 and they haven't really put it together. And they do have basically a replacement level coach in Helton. If it's even like a little bit better than that, like even not getting a Pete Carroll guy who's going to dominate, even just getting like competent coach, uh, they would be I, I think they would be in that, you know, they would be right there with, I think, Washington and Stanford for being the potential representative in the college football playoff. They're not there because they have a, a coach's a weakness. But in the next five years, I think we'd both anticipate them changing coaches at least once. And if that guy doesn't work out, I wouldn't be shocked if they did it again. Um, <laughs> and USC, because of that talent level, is always only uh, a coaching change and one to two seasons away from competing for a playoff. And that's just something that nobody else in the Pac-12 can easily say. Washington is there now because they've built something over the last four years um, and they've recruited pretty well and they already have the elite coach. Stanford is there because they have the very good to elite coach and they've recruited well for four or five years. But USC... If they got an elite coach this year, like at the end of the season, they might take one season to get everything squared away, but then everyone will be expecting them to be undefeated the following year. Yeah. Uh, and I think Oregon's pretty, I mean, they look really good this year. So the fact that they've had some recent success, I think that gives them a leg up also, you know, but 
Um, you'd have to put USC in that list just because of the talent that's there and, and capable of going there. Uh, we got Kevin, who is the 12 year old coach? Uh, first, let me say you guys put on a great show, rather entertaining. Thank you. Well, thank you, Kevin. Uh, okay. Thought you might be interested in the story. Maybe you've already read it, sending it to you just in case you have not. Here's the hook. The coach went 0 and 11 in 2016, then pulled in the number one FCS recruiting class going eight and four in 2017. The first win of eight broke a 29 game, uh, losing streak. So he sent us the link. Uh, to the story, how do you do this? Hint: He pays for babysitters every week, so his assistant coaches have can have a date night with their wives. Thanks for the smile. Huh. So this is um, Will Healy. He's the thirty-three uh, year old head coach from Austin P University. Um, so if you want to read that, Yahoo had a story that he sent us on that. I have. I haven't. Have you heard much about this? I have not. Not at all. Not okay, at all. but uh, go check it out. But thanks, uh, Kevin, for sharing that. Uh, this is from Scott. Hi, Ryan and Dave. Podcast is great. Keep it up. I have a handful of questions, so I'll try to keep them brief. Uh, do you think a group of five school will ever make the college football playoffs? If they do, is it because they are truly good enough or will it be by default because other teams have too many losses? I don't think they're ever making a 14 playoff. Yeah, I, I think it'd be very, very like now that you have the SEC breaking through and getting two in. Um, I mean, you could see Alabama, and Georgia. They don't play each other during the year. They play each other in the championship game. And a one loss, whoever just gets in anyway. So yeah, I think it's going to be very, very tough with five power five conferences. You'd have to have like three of them implode and have like Boise state or something be amazeballs and beat, you know, Washington during the year and something else. I mean, it would have, it would have to, a lot of things would have to happen. Yep. Do you think Gardner Minshew could be a pro prospect at the end of the season? If he keeps playing the way he's playing, I think so. I mean, he was ready to just get into coaching and stuff. Right. Um, but yeah, he's, I think he's good. Like, yeah, it's a an air raid system, but the fact that he picked it up, I mean, it's similar, but yeah, I, I think he could be. Well, and I would say this about the air raid system knock that's been around for 10, 15 years now, kind of changing these days um, with pro teams going more wide open, throwing the ball a ton more and so many rules against hitting the quarterback. Uh, who's, who's the best young quarterback in, in all of the NFL right now? Mahomes, That's right? Patrick, Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, he'll be on tonight, that's an, Monday Night Football, that, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's an air raid quarterback playing in effectively a college system. Yes. Um, yeah, I think Gardner Minshew could walk in and play. Um, he his, his ball placement right now is better than Luke Falk's last year. Um, he's been more accurate, throws a nice catchable ball. I think he'll uh, I, I think he'll have a chance to get drafted and then potentially play. And then uh, using only the current head coaches in the Pac-12, create a super staff to be head coach, to be offensive coordinator, and to be de- defensive coordinator. Okay, so we have to pick one head coach. Oh, jeez. One, one OC. Oh, using only the head coaches. Okay. Oh, okay, uh, okay. That's easier. All right, so, I mean, obviously Herm as the Herm head coach. Herm is the head coach and offensive. And all, just all three Herm. Just Herm. Yeah, it's just Herm. Just Herm. Like a 12-inch um, okay, Herm so- for the offensive coordinator and a full-size Herm for defensive coordinator. I think I would go Peterson uh, as the head coach. Yeah. Um, I think your OC would probably be Leach. Yeah, that's that's the example he's giving us so far. Oh, oh God, I didn't even look at it. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, and then DC, he has Whittingham here. <sighs> Who would be... I'm like McIntyre maybe or Whittingham? McIntyre or Wilcox. 
I yeah. mean, Whittingham's the obvious pick. I mean, I think he's got it right. I think it's Peterson, right. Yeah, Peterson. Yeah, and if you wanted to do a different sort of offense or something, like there's no David Shaw on there, but um, I can't put him as the offensive coordinator because there's no. I think many. Shaw would be the other option as head co- head coach. Yeah, because like from a program management standpoint, I think he's done a fantastic job. Yeah, and Wilcox, you know, I would, you know, you re- he's relying on his coordinators more, so it'd be hard to put him in there. But I like the I like what he has. Yeah. yeah. So Peterson, Leach, and uh, go with Whittingham. Yep. Um, we have 15 questions left, so let's try to go through these quick, I guess. We are at the, where are we? Oh, almost the two-hour mark, and we have 15 questions left. So Jesus. We usually average like 10 minutes of questions, so I don't think we can do that. Uh, name for our listeners. Hey, Ryan and Dave. Here, I'll just, I'll just read the name he has. Okay, so we put this up for a while ago um, to pick a name for our listeners. Uh, Jay from Seattle has the recommendation Listeners of the podcast for champions should be known as the squad cast of champions. What do you think? Squad cat. Well, it has to be something catchy, right? Squad I mean, cast? it rhymes. It rhymes with podcast of champions. Squad cast of champions. So the, but the, the, like, you have to be like part of a group. Like you're the, if you're listening to Jim Rome, you're, you're one of the clones. Like what are, what are you? If you listen to the podcast of champions, you're part of the squad cast. Of, I'm a squad cast of champion. Like, you know what I mean? I think you're, I, I think you're pretty obviously it's, you're a noodle arm. I think that's what I think that's what they should be. <laughs> All right, listeners to the podcast of champions should be. I think as arms. a group, that's cool. Squad cast of champions, but what do you call it? Like we're the squad. Like it'd have to be something shorter to be like what we are. Like what the group they're, is. They're 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 noodly. They're noodles. They're, yeah, they're uh, noodlies. They can be different types of noodles. Okay. Like some can be low main. <laughs> some can be you know the the tougher ones can be rigatoni. I like it. Yeah. Um, um, we got Matt. Said long time listener, first time caller, Kook fan, heading home from the game, tailgating the right call early. Would the Pac 12 even have made the call without the TV timeout to take a look? What is he? T- oh, targeting. targeting. I'm sorry. Did I say tailgating? Targeting yes. the right call See where your early. Mind's at. It's, uh, I'm ready to tailgate, you know? Um, so, the, okay. So, which was that? The targeting. What are we talking the, about here? Uh, the, Washington State Utah game. I'm trying to remember a target. I don't call. remember the target. Yeah, you got to give us more details. Uh, tough fought game on both sides. Game seems to be one play away either side for most of the second half. Penalties played a big role for both teams. Maybe I'm the old. Oh, I'm sorry. That was the early one uh, that that uh, they erased the fumble. Uh, maybe I'm an old codger at 29. Oh, right, right. Yeah, I thought yeah. it was. I thought it was a decent enough targeting call. Yeah, actually. I thought it was too. But I just was surprised they they overturned a turnover. Yeah, me too. He said, maybe I'm the old codger at 29, but the Washington State student, sec- student section really hit the exits at halftime for a homecoming game. Thoughts on the best and worst student sections and conferences? They're one of the best aspects of college football, on occasion a difference maker in close games, or from an objective opinion, does it not make a difference? Thanks. I uh, love the podcast. And take heart, Dave. Uh, it's still not the uh, Paul Wolf era in Westwood from mm. Matt. Yeah, I don't know what yet. the best student section is. By, by the way, can can I just say up top, the fact that we, so everyone, you know, we always make a joke of how we can't remember anything. <laughs> Please take note of the fact that we couldn't remember something that we had talked about literally <laughs> earlier on the same show. And we're not recording this over like three days. It was not much more than an hour ago when we were talking about this game. He makes a reference to it and we're like, what? Wait, Washington State played a football game? Huh, who knew? It's just, it's, you know, there's a lot of games. Yeah. It's hard to remember yeah. everything that was going on, but yeah, no, I know. Or, or to remember something we literally talked about one hour ago. What, so what's the best student section? Like Oregon's got to be up there, right? Um, 
Oregon's up there. Like basically, um, if you fill your stadium, so like Washington or Oregon would have to be, like, yeah. Uh, it's tough at places like Stanford and UCLA, where like students don't even aren't even there for the first few games. Um, yeah, and it's tough at Stanford and UCLA, where also like there's just I mean, well, Stanford has a historically small fan base, and so and I think students have like I don't know they got stuff to study for, yeah. and UCLA they've been bad for so long and they also are not great um about accommodating students or they haven't been in the past and also it's like i don't know like 75 miles from campus so yeah the must yeah. and uh for utah is it is the student section the must or is that just like the general i don't remember but utah is a pretty good i think utah's good um the arizona schools can be good like arizona state when it's hopping it can be really good yeah um yeah, I would say like all of them can be good. I think Oregon is probably the most consistently good. Um and Washington's up there probably too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good. Okay. Uh all right. Uh Frank doesn't like the refs in the USC Arizona game. All right. Did they uh yeah, so that's just that's fine. Um <laughs> I'm gonna read Hithley days. Okay. Sorry, we're we're skipping past them. They're just kind of venting. Frank, we 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 hear you. We we talked about how they, bad the referee was yeah. already. Uh, Hithloday says, "Am I so short of Mad Men?" Three questions for David. Oh gosh. Okay. Okay. <clears> I'm, I'm gonna take, stretch. I'm gonna take a break. Yeah, I gotta stretch. All right. Have you started your film study of Washington yet? You may recall in the off season, I was skeptical of Bush Hamden as a first time play caller. What have you thought of his calls on third downs? Well, Hifliday, I haven't quite gotten to a breakdown of his third down calls yet, but I'm planning to. I actually do most of my preview stuff on Tuesdays. We're recording this on Monday, and then I end up writing the thing on Wednesday. So um, I'll probably get to that. Um, eyeballing it, I, I mean, I think they've probably... I, I, I haven't been too... Aside from this past game, I don't think Jake Browning's been too hot this year, and so I think they might be limited a little bit and what they can do on third downs. Um, and their running game at the beginning of the year wasn't doing a great job of generating nice gains on first down. So it was putting them in some tougher long yardage spots, but I'll look at it more uh, Two, I've seen some people suggest that UCLA has so much inherited talent that they ought to be doing better than even with even more a level coaching. But the only people qualified to comment on what precisely the talent level is are singularly unqualified to speak rationally about it, to wit, UCLA fans. What's your take? Um, I kind of middle ground it. Um, I think we probably overrated some of the players, um, and I'm talking about it from, you know, the just the thing that happens. Some guys get rated a certain way out of high school, and then they just never fulfill that potential. Um, and that certainly happened with some guys at UCLA. Um, I don't think it's as bad as what is effectively going to be a two and 10 to zero and 12 season. I think UCLA has made some, I think what, what essentially is they're, they're prioritizing culture change. Um, and I think that's a decision to make, but what, what it's ended up being is they've cut like essentially 19 guys off the roster. Um, and some of those were probably guys who absolutely needed to go. Some of them were probably iffy cases where they wanted to, you know, kind of establish a discipline, um, line. And I think that's, played a role in the talent, maybe not being quite as good as people might've thought coming into the year. Um, but even with all of that, I think they could probably 
so they they opted to make uh, Devon Modster the third string quarterback um, out of fall camp, and I think it was you know probably justified based on practice performance. Modster has never been a great practice player, but when he was asked to play in games last year in a similar ish system to what Chip Kelly is trying to do right now, he actually looked pretty good, um, and I think he might have been a more stable option than Dorian Thompson Robinson when Wilton Spate went down. And this is all hindsight, but if you're, if you're looking at it from a hindsight perspective and you're asking what another coach might've done, they might've prioritized monsters experience. And maybe that means UCLA would be, I don't know uh, that Colorado game, especially could have gone a different way with more competent quarterback play in the second half. They might be one and three. They might even be two and two, um, uh, two and two might be a stretch, but I think one and three, um, could be, that would be on the table, I think, with maybe a little bit of a different decision at quarterback. Um, but there's there's things to weigh there. You're weighing whether or not you want to play for the future and whether or not you want to you know just win a few games this year. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't think the talent is basically the best way to say it is I don't think the talent is bad enough that they were just destined to be 2-10 and 10 to 0-12 this year. Um, I think they're... There, there were ways to, or there are ways still um, to squeeze a little bit better production out of them, um, but we'll we'll see. I mean, I'm I'm no uh, uh, I'm no I'm no uh, perfect expert of talent evaluation when the coaches are seeing them every day. Um, three USC is now in the middle of what will probably be a five or six game winning streak. If I set the over under at three and a half weeks for when Ryan forgets all about the early embarrassments and his cleverly veiled change.org petition to fire Clay Helton and gets back to his a game of blaming Larry Scott for USC, not making the playoffs. Would you take the over or the under? Wow. Some shade at Ryan here. Just because he's been like off his question game for the last couple of years. He's getting mad at me for that. Like, come on, dude. (laughs) (laughs) um i will take the over um i think it would take a while before ryan will get back to blaming larry scott for usc not making the playoffs like it would take like an eight game winning streak i think right and i don't see that happening for usc and to be fair ryan never blamed larry scott for (laughs) for usc not making the playoffs hey i'm just trying to take his yeah i'm trying to take hitler day's questions on its own terms all right right the, his nonsensical yes okay oh we'll just move on from that point yeah this is a conference that doesn't help the power team they don't help washington or oh oregon or stanford the sec oh does here he goes here he yes. goes so right now your best teams of the conference all have a loss so thank you larry scott for that um okay we got the south blows from steve and salt lake Hey guys, two questions. Who is the most likely to win the South at some point? Chip Kelly, Kyle Winningham, neither will win the South during their tenure. Wow. Wow. Uh, who would you say most likely of those two? Or who would win it first, maybe? I'm I'm beginning to doubt on Whittingham. Yeah. I mean, the he could be facing 0-3. The offense this year is just, uh, what happened, man? I just feel like Chip Kelly can put it together and could win it. I'm it's not, still just an unknown. So I'm going to go A because I think that could still happen. Yeah. Uh, Whittingham, I'm beginning to think it can't. Because I really <laughs> like, thought like there's just a limiter. Huntley would be like 
I don't know. Whatever. Um, it's it's disappointing because I think we both want Utah to do well. Like it's. I thought they would. I picked them to win the South, and like if they start yeah. off zero and three, it's going to be just oh awful. Uh, two. I know Khalil Tate hasn't lived up to the billing so far this season, but even with him, has there been a player in the conference that has to this point? disappointed expectations more so than Tyler Huntley. Everyone expected him to take a big step forward. He's not hurt. He's had the same offensive coordinator, but he seems to have actually regressed. Uh, at least he's still a top 11 quarterback in the conference. Maybe Steven Salt Lake. Yeah. I, I expected more from Huntley this year. Um, I thought you just cleaned up the turnovers a little bit, but it's not even that it's just getting the ball down the field. It just doesn't seem like he's able to do that very well. No, he, he hasn't been sharp. Bryce Love? Yeah. I mean, it's it's offensive line dependent somewhat, but he, he hasn't looked the same. Um, but yeah, I would say Tyler Huntley's been up there. Um, Bryce Love's been up there. Um, yeah, not been great. Not been great. No. Uh, All oh, right. Oh, you got this one? Okay. Yeah. You ready? Yes. All right, this is from Josh. Hey, Ryan and Dave, this is your loyal listener in Arkansas, Joshua. Since I love hearing Dave laugh, I'm going to just leave this here. On Ryan taking Colorado in the survival pool in last week's episode, Dave, that's scary, man. That's a little bit scary because if UCLA does get it together, dot, 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 end quotation. Yeah. (laughs) Love the optimism, Dave. You hang in there. (laughs) Two weeks ago, I wrote in to say that UCLA was 88th in recruiting just ahead of Army and Air Force. Well, congrats to UCLA. They are now 81st, just ahead of BYU, which finally allowed Coke machines on campus and just behind Northern Illinois, which is surrounded by cornfields in DeKalb, Illinois. So you know those campuses are lit. Chip Kelly is a fraud, and the sooner people realize, the quicker UCLA can dig its way out of the hole it dug itself. How long until Dave hates Kelly more than he does Rick Neuheisel? For reference, Neuheisel has won 20 more, more games as head coach UCLA then good old chip. Wow. I don't know. I'm usually, pre- I'm usually pretty quick to hate coaches. Um, it's gonna, it would take a lot for me to hate anybody as a coach. I'm sure he's a nice and wonderful person. Uh, then Rick Neuheisel, it would take a lot. Um, but there's always a chance. I am, I am, I am more easily out on a coach all the time than basically anybody else in the world. So it could happen. But it's not there yet. No, like you hire someone like that, you have to give them time. Like I, I would not be jumping off the Chip Kelly bandwagon. Like that's part of. Yeah, even as quick as I am, look, Owen twelve is a disaster. If that actually happens, that's really, really, really bad. And if they're Owen twelve while also looking kind of just as bad as they look right now, that will be really, really bad. Yeah. Um, that will cripple recruiting that and more so than it's already being self crippled by the fact that they're not actually recruiting the guys they've offered very hard. Um, but if it goes on 12, I'm, I'm still not going to be on look, fire the guy right now, but next year becomes a show me year for me personally. Now that doesn't change the fact that they're going to give them three to four years, no matter what. Um, but if they go zero and 12, like, how many good tenures start off 0 and 12? Like, think about like any modern school. Like, Washington that doesn't happen. Went 0 and 12 recently, right? Like, that did, was did that happen under Chris Peterson? <laughs> oh, maybe not. Was that before him? Yeah, a little bit before. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. Um, it's just that would be that would be a real worrying sign when you hire an elite coach. You expect um, improvement above a baseline, and I think that would be 
performing below the floor of what anybody reasonable would have expected going into this year. Yeah. Um, this next one looks too long. Do we just skip? Yeah. That? Thomas, love you, man. Too it's much. just, we're at the end of the show and we've, so the thing is in the off season, we're down to read these things, but during the season, it's tough because yeah. we've got to recap and preview all of these games. So save that for later. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll try to get to it. Maybe, I don't know, at some point. Maybe if you can resend it during the offseason. That would be great. Uh, Scott in Washington said, end of September and Pac-12 playoff chances on life support already. Ryan and Dave, since we have all acknowledged the Pac-12 based on their scheduling and insistent on playing nine league games, is not interested in competing with the other Power Four conferences to have teams in the playoff or even in the discussion for much of uh, most of the meat of the season again. Uh, what do you think about, along with the Mountain West, MAC, ACC, Ivy League, annexing any form uh, of our own version of FCS? We already have the quote-unquote media executive and Larry Scott available to get us the killer TV deal necessary for it. Uh, next up in the suicide squad of scheduling, that is the Pac-12, is Oregon getting two weeks to prepare for its main rival, Washington, at home. Why Washington goes on the road the week before. You can't make this stuff up. Uh, thanks for the great show you guys put on. Go dogs, Scott and Washington. Oh yeah, and that's why Hitler Day wasn't going to mention that because it was benefiting his ducks. So he didn't. He doesn't mind <laughs> that that's that. You know, that's why Hitler Day. I get it. You're you're okay with like putting Washington in a bad position. The our number one team in the conference. Let's put them in a bad spot, just like they would do for Alabama. And the, no, they would never do that to no, Alabama. No, they're they're yeah. setting it up for Oregon, man. Yeah, that's what they're doing. They're setting it up for Oregon to make their title run. Right. All right, uh, Anthony. Who are you more surprised to be 0-4, Nebraska or UCLA? Um, I both are really surprising. I think UCLA. It's, yeah, it's UCLA. I think UCLA. Yeah. Um, Didn't uh, Chip Kelly learn under Scott Frost though? <laughs> or was it? Uh, mean, I got mixed that up. <laughs> yeah, the reverse. <laughs> I didn't know if you were making a joke or just mixed it up. Um, yeah, no, they're that's kind that, of insulting. That, yeah, that was that was pretty great. Um, uh, and Nebraska, it's not that shocking because they they didn't get to play Akron. I think if they'd played Akron, they'd yeah. be one and whatever now. Right. Um, but they had that hurricane out or rained out or whatever it was. Um, not a hurricane. It's in, it was in Nebraska, so it definitely it definitely was not a hurricane in Nebraska. <laughs> it was, it was uh, some other weather related event. Uh, and then since 2011, Oklahoma has not had back-to-back road games, and Alabama has done it once. Stanford, ASU, and Utah have back-to-back road games twice. Only Washington State is the only team in the Pac-12 not to have any back-to-back road games. ASU and Utah have back-to-back road games in the conference twice. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are Hitler Day is an idiot. That's why. See, this is what we're talking about, Hitler Day. This is what we're talking about. It's not yep. USC being held out of play. It's It's hurting the entire conference by what we do here. That's what we're talking about. Including USC is a part of that, but it's not the only reason. Their own incompetence will stop them from doing things. But the Pac-12 also chips in and helps as well. So when Oregon's close or Washington's close or Stanford's close, there's always got to do that extra, you know, play on a Friday night after, you know, Washington playing on a Friday night after uh, a road game and being – you know, uh, have truck racing on instead of the game, like all that stuff. Like Alabama would blow a gas if it got close to anything like that. So no. Yep. Uh, nice. Oh, is this me? Uh, let's see. We got 
John and Brea, comment and question. Hey, Ryan and Dave. So the Pac-12 had one team ranked in the top 10. Nice. I'll save my Larry Scott slash Pac-12 scheduling rant for a summer offseason. Very smart, John. Thank you. I have a different rant for today. I was admittedly opposed to the Pac-12 trying to make the game shorter. That initiative always felt like the Pac-12 was trying to fix something that wasn't broken. We all love college football. Why would we want less of what we love? And then I watched the USC-Arizona game. Please, Larry, do anything and everything you can to shorten any game played by either of these teams this year. John is a USC fan, by the way. That game was utterly unwatchable, yet I watched it. Pac-12, quote-unquote, after dark indeed. If only the last student to leave would have turned the lights off at halftime, we could have all been spared the last 30 minutes of that overflowing grease trap of a game. Pretty good rant. Uh, question. Yeah. Why is the Pac-12 South so bad? Is it all about quarterback play, coaching changes, lack of coaching changes? How did this division get so bad? Thanks for all you do, Dave. Extra special thanks if you stayed up to watch the above-mentioned game, John and Brea. Um, so why is it so bad? I think it's a combination of all of the above. I think quarterback play, obviously, with Rosen and Darnold, especially leaving the league, has um, hurt the South. Um, coaching changes, um, I mean, to an extent. I think UCLA was going to take a big step back regardless. Um Kevin Sumlin addition to Arizona has not necessarily paid dividends. Um, and I think it has maybe if Rich Rod was still there, Khalil Tate would be running more. I think that's, I think that's a pretty obvious thing from the beginning of the season. Now, yeah, he's hurt now, but, um, from the beginning of the year, I think they would have had him running more. Um, there's no way he would have like whatever 31 rushing guards at this point. Um, so that I think has hurt a little bit. It's hurt Arizona's potential, but I think Herm, I mean, Todd Graham, would he be any different at ASU right now? I kind of think no. I, I think they would be about as good, but Herm hasn't been a detriment there. I don't think. Um, but I think it's mainly that uh, USC took a step back because of Sam Darnold leaving and JT Daniels just not being at the level of Sam Darnold as a redshirt sophomore at this point. Uh, Josh Rosen leaving and uh, leaving a, catastrophe in his wake at the quarterback position um it's hurt the two la schools and then i think uh arizona's taking a step back because they don't have uh khalil tate running the ball anymore yeah i agree with you there and i think utah's the, te- the team that has to take advantage of power vacuums and unfortunately their schedule is so bad they haven't even got to play a south team le- yet they're just getting beat up by the north teams um I-, I i felt like this was a year utah could take a step forward we'll see it's i mean they only have two losses but it's not looking good. They still have Stanford and uh, and Oregon on their schedule from the north, and uh, they're 0-2 right now. So that's one of those teams I thought would take advantage, and they just haven't been good enough offensively to really compete. So we'll see if that turns around, but I, I think it's a, just a culmination of a whole bunch of things, and uh, it's it's the worst. Would you agree it's the worst division in the Power Five? Mm. Yeah, I don't the, ACC, the ACC is pretty bad, but I think they have a – Mm. Yeah, it's probably the worst. Yeah, so that's no bueno. Which which is the one that Clemson's not in? Uh, was it the Atlantic and the Coastal or something? Or what? I forget what that that is. Oh, God, I gotta look this, it up. Let yeah. me pull this stupid thing up. Uh, the ACC Coastal is not great. That's got like Virginia Tech and Miami in it, but Virginia Tech lost to Old Dominion, right? Um, and Miami is uh, Miami's pretty good, but Miami's pretty good. Pittsburgh, North I Carolina, think. which is trash. Virginia, which is the Pittsburgh, which is trash. Duke, which is 
pretty good, and Georgia Tech, which is trash. So it's probably up. It's probably right around with the ACC coast. Yeah, it's it's. It, it would say it's in that that same. Yeah. Okay. Um, we'll see. You know, I think you could pretty much got to hang your hat on on Colorado right now and have them make some sort of run. That would be. That would be good yeah. for the South. I don't think we can read right. Knicks, right? No, I'll do the questions at the okay. bottom. Nick, sorry, we can't do the rundown this week. Uh, one, he says, I have stated my opinion on Utah repping the Pac-12 in the South preview. He doesn't. He thinks it's already over. I think it's over in early October. Ryan and Dave, give your thoughts. So he thinks Utah has no chance anymore. It's I agree. T- I, yeah, I, mean, I just don't see them. I mean, it'd be hard to split Stanford and Oregon, and then you got to win. The, like, that'd be three losses before you play anyone in the South. So, yeah, I think it's – Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ryan, your thoughts on the great refereeing in the USC versus U of A game? We've already touched on yeah. that. Dave, what's up with two of your starters' dads calling out Chip on Twitter? Not a great sign, Nick. Um, <laughs> Who called that? What? What's going on? Uh, oh, uh, Dorian Thompson. Yeah, yeah. Dorian Thompson Robinson's dad went uh, went kind of crazy on Twitter after the Fresno State game. Then Casimir Allen's dad was doing the same thing. Uh, not great from a couple different perspectives. First, you never want parents doing that and especially don't want parents of your true freshmen guys. You recruited to the school doing that after the third game of the season. That's bad. That's bad news. Not great. Not ideal. No. That's um, all I got. All right. Let's see what we, we have. Uh, we have one last one, right? True or false. Uh, this is from Zach. Ooh, I like these. Hey, yeah. True or false are shorter. Uh, hey, Dave and Ryan, after another incredibly underwhelming performance by both L.A. schools, let's play a game of true or false. All right. So we got one, two, three, four, six of things here. Uh, it's officially time to start panicking about the Chip Kelly era. False. False panic. Um, express reasonable concern. True. <laughs> okay. The Pac-12 has long been known for terrible officiating, but the co- Man, we have a lot of officiating stuff. But the conference mm-hmm. should also get the award for worst announcer. Sidebar: I've long held that Rod uh, Rod Gilmore is the worst announcer to consistently provide commentary for major television events. There's a reason they only let him on TV after 10:30 Eastern. But FS1 has really given him a run for the title with Demarco Murray a few weeks ago, and whoever the announcers were in Boulder Friday night, it may have been a worse performance than DTRs. Was it okay? True. So, uh, yes, true. You know what? Um, I loved him as a player. Who's the, uh, why am I blank on his name? The Stanford running back, uh, the, the white kid. What the, why am I, um, blank? Christian McCaffrey? No, no, no. That, not, he's, he didn't make it, uh, in the end. Well, he was in the NFL for a little while. Toby Gerhardt. Toby Gerhardt, yeah. He seems so dry and not good in the studio show. Like, I usually like a lot of their stuff. He, I've just not been a fan of his. Do you, do you see him? No, he's not, not good. Not good. Um, I do want to say DeMarco Murray is really bad because it's, he's, it's his first time doing this. So he's going to be a little bit mush mouth and that's fine, but he's also not providing any insight. It's always like when he's diagramming a play after it happens, he's like, and then he ran here and he did a great job and it's never like, okay, here's what the, and I know he's, he's got to be fully capable of doing that. He played in the league for a long time, but he's not providing that like any kind of, Okay, so when you're looking at this kind of uh, defense, here's how you've got to run, or here's what the blocking scheme has to set up for you, or whatever it is, just not really providing any of that. And it's noticeable because they've got him teamed with Petros Papadakis, who's really good at that stuff, as well as making it fun and colorful. So it's interesting hearing kind of both of them, because they've been on the same broadcast with each other a lot, um, and Papadakis is quite a bit better. There's plenty of former players that that can you know. <laughs> 
give you insight, you know, and get, and make it interesting. Like, that's what you want to do. Like, I don't know. I, I listened to Gerhardt watching that show and like DeMarco Murray. I'm just like, what am I getting out of this? It's just like, it's a guy talking that used to play and that's it. Like it's nothing, yeah. nothing else. Uh, Clay Hilton continually fields very average teams that manage to win close games in the worst case scenario for dollar sign. UC. He's saying Clay Hilton continuously fielding very average teams is the worst case scenario for SUC. So uh, is okay. Yes. Is the worst case scenario. For, yes. Uh, true. Yes. True. True. Uh, Stanford blowout loss to Notre Dame cemented the Pac-12 as the worst of the Power Five conferences, at least at the top of the conference. Mm. It's up with the ACC. Like, I yeah, th- I think that might have. And since Notre Dame kind of is in the ACC, <laughs> you might want to say yes. True. But it's I think I, it's close. I, the ACC is yeah, pretty bad this year. Yeah, I would say I would say it's it's not cemented yet. Um, but it certainly did nothing good. Yeah, I mean, the ACC still has Clemson, at least, to hang its hat on, and, and the Pac-12. Right. Unless Colorado goes along and beats Clemson in the playoffs somehow, then I don't know. Uh, a coach can recover from an 0-12 or 1-11 first season in the modern era. Ooh. True, just because I don't want to eliminate possibilities. True, but yeah. there aren't, I mean, there aren't a ton of examples out there. Um, I mean, recovering from it to be good Yes, true, a hundred percent. Recovering from it to be elite, to turn out a tenure where within three years you're in a playoff. Yeah, I don't know about that. Right, <laughs> and I think that UCLA is a perfect scenario where it's like it's, it's not a lot of scenarios this could happen, but if you brought in Scott Frost and you know he can win, and he just has a disaster of a first year, or Chip Kelly and disaster for like both of those teams, I could see turning around for sure. You know, uh, and they could both. I'm not looking at I'm not seeing a lot of wins on UCLA's schedule, Dave. I don't know. Do do you see any or many or the only one that's like where UCLA might be um even close to a pick'em is probably gonna be Arizona at home. Okay. And I don't I haven't and, looked at Nebraska's and I don't schedule. know about that one. Nebraska's schedule is probably similar, right? Like they they got some sure losses and I don't know how many I think they've got some buddy teams still coming up. Though. Okay. Um let's see. All right, let's play this game. Who's going to, I think, yeah, Nebraska still plays. Is that Bethune Cookman? Okay. Oh, sorry. So there's a one. Oh, wait, no, it's BCU. I don't, yeah, it's Bethune Cookman. Um, so they can beat them. They can probably beat Illinois, maybe on the road. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. They're not going to win a whole lot of games. No. And then lastly, Scott Wolf splits the hottest fire. Uh, sorry, spits the hottest fire. Since Dylan of Dylan, 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 and Dylan fame, and needs a segment on the podcast of champions. That no, that's pronounced Dylon, I believe. There, Dylon. Uh, yes. What are we, uh, I don't even know what this is. It's like a it's like a Dave Chappelle thing. I want to say from from back in the day from Chappelle Show. Jeez. Sorry, yeah. Nick, I'm not cool enough to get it's, the reference. It's a, um, it, it was like a making uh, the band parody. I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to explain it. You should go. You should go watch that entire thing like a million times through, like, like everybody who was in college in 2003 did. Okay, I, I will certainly not be doing that, but that's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to say true. Scott Wolf does spit the hottest fire. He does spit some Dylan. spit some fire. Yes. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up. Uh, if that's cool with you. 
Should we cool. Go, should we go another hour or no? I cannot do another minute. I, I can't. I'm like, yeah, I'm sick. I'm just not, you know, I thought we did pretty good though. You know, I think we brought, I thought we heat. handled things well. We did. Okay. But it's time to exit. This. We are out of steam. Um, yes. Yeah. We're close to the two and a half hour mark. So, all right. That is David Woods. My friend who doesn't return my text. If he's looking <laughs> at the pics. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Dave, can we chat? It's crickets. Nothing. <laughs> Just nothing. <laughs> nothing at all. Screw you and your stupid white horse. Nothing. He gets nothing back. He gets nothing back. Uh, <laughs> that's David. Uh, I'm Ryan. Thanks for tuning in. Two and a half hours later, and we will talk to you next time.